0: Hey, I'm JD Webb, and I'm here with Vicki Rowe, owner of gotmead.com, and of course, AJ Ermans, home mead maker and beer brewer. And we are back in the saddle again after taking a month off for the holidays tonight. We'll be talking to Amina Harris, director of the Honey and Pollination Center at the Robert Mondavi Institute at UC Davis. We'll also talk wildflower honey and your yeast selections, polled in the Got Mead Forum here recently on the next Got Mead Live Mead Project. In a surprise segment, Ask Sergio with Sergio Mutella. From Melovino Meadery in New Jersey. All that and a whole lot more. Get your glass of mead, hustle on back, and don't get lost on the way. Got Mead Live starts in 60 seconds. Christmas has come and gone. New Year's has pr- pretty much come and gone, and we're back. Yeah. What time zone do you live in? Yeah. When New Year's <laughs> for me was like five days ago. So you
1: know. <laughs> even even for okay, Hamish is a day ahead of us. say even for Australia, that was a while ago. <laughs>
0: yeah. I got a I got a po- uh, post the, uh Well, from Doug over in the Netherlands, he's on Skype, he poked me or whatever you want to call it and says, Uh Happy New Year on like December 31st. Now, wait a minute, (laughs) you're a day early and it it dawned on me, yeah, he is a day early.
1: Well, not really, (laughs) he's only like seven hours ahead of us, but basically a lot of people do that in December 31st, so, you know, it is what it is,
0: (laughs) but... we are back live here. Uh, got me live. Um, uh, really uh, anxious to get this uh, this series, this eight week series, uh, underway. Uh, a lot of cool stuff coming up, and I'm really excited about tonight's guest, Vicky uh, uh, Amina Harris, and I'm really anxious to talk to her. Yeah, she's
1: amazing. Amina has been the director of the Honey and Pollination Institute, or Honey and Pollination Center, which is part of the Robert Mondavi Institute. And for those of you out there who might not be familiar with it, um, this is at UC Davis in California. And um, the Robert Mondavi Institute is kind of a holy grail of winemaking. That is like the winemaking school um, out there. And tell me, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the best winemaking school in the United States. Anyway, um the, the it's a well-funded institute and in, in winemaking thing with some of the top people in Enology, not just in fermentation and winemaking and quality and, and uh you know aroma and all of that stuff, but also in running a winery and um uh, marketing a winery and, and making profitable you know making a profit in doing a winery because this is the core of the wine industry you know in california so um it's really cool because these a lot of the stuff translates to the meat industry and the honey and pollination center which amina is the director of has heavily gotten involved in the meat industry lately and she'll tell you a lot more about this but they're doing some great classes on how to make great meat. and you're talking some of the top fermentation experts in the country are teaching these classes out there and they're open for anybody to sign up for so it's really exciting i've been to one and it was like oh oh my god amazing so you know (laughs) Some of the top people, and it's not just the it's not just the instructors there, they're bringing in people like, well, like our own Oscar, like Pete, and Ken Schramm, and, you know, uh, Michael Fairbrother, and Mike Fall, and, you know, some of the top people in the industry who know how to make really awesome mead, so they're ganging together with these wine experts, and what we're getting is a fusion that's creating some pretty dang amazing stuff.
0: Yeah. Cool. So, uh, she'll be with us here tonight. And then uh, I want to throw a shout out to Jim Davis of Colorado. He was in Southern California for a week and. Uh, Hi, Jim. Send me an Hi, email. <laughs> he sent me an email and, uh, you know, we, we were going to try to hook up, but just didn't have the time. This is over the holidays. Uh, didn't manage to uh, be able to do that. But uh, prayers and thoughts go out uh, to uh, Jim and his family. Uh, they had uh, they come out to put his mother-in-law into hospice. So, uh Hmm. Be sure Fox and Perth are with you and your family, Jim. Yeah, uh, definitely. He did manage to visit Gold Coast Meadery and uh, apparently had a pretty good time with the staff there. So, Oh, yeah, they're okay. fun. But, uh, AJ, any, uh, anything good under the tree this year?
2: Uh, I got a... Um a wine filter, a big ass wine filter from my brother-in-law, but <laughs> I'm pretty nice. sure he bought it. I'm pretty sure he bought it for himself a long time ago and decided he wasn't going to use it. <laughs> hey, if you're going re-gift, to re-gift, something usable, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was Just a little me, disappointed I can... when I already had one, but, uh, this, well, I think is, this one's more. with the, this one's got like the, um, like eight or 10 inch plates. And my other one has like the four or six inch plates. So nice for the filters. So, so we'll see. Upgraded. And, uh, yeah, and he gave me the like, essentially a kit and some super yeast to make Bailey's Irish Cream. Oh, that's that, good. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, there you go. So that should be fun. And uh, what else did I get? I bought myself a new computer most, so I don't have to swear at the old one. There you go. There you go. <laughs> that worked. And my um, and my father-in-law is moving both of his legs again. So oh, fantastic. after after falling off a roof at seventy-eight yeah. <laughs> and He's trying to kill himself, yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Very good. So he's uh, <laughs> yeah. he's in a
2: wheelchair for now, but it looks like he'll walk again eventually.
0: Cool. Vicki, hmm. I saw your present.
1: Uh, I and got I, an, and an I, Apple watch. I was totally not expecting it <laughs> um, That was the one surprise. But no, what, what what JD's talking about is the semi-recumbent exercise bike and a tray table desk that I can basically sit, pedal, and work at the same time. And it's working amazingly. I've been riding like an hour or more a day.
2: No, so that's not the smartest idea. How oh, I fast, love it. it. How fast does it go?
1: Uh, as fast as you want it to. And it's, I mean, it's not got, I mean, it's not like a super ultra fancy bike, but it's got, um, resistant settings that go up to 10. And if you crank it all the way up, you pretty much got to stand on the pedals. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like trying to climb a cliff on a bike So I've got it. Cause you know, I'm still having the breathing problems, uh, after a certain amount of exertion or activity. So I've got it set on two and I just pedal away and I, my Apple watch. So I've got a a little app on there that lets me that has an exercise bike app on it. It tracks my heartbeat. (laughs) I keep my heartbeat at a certain level for a certain amount of time and, you know, just kind of crank it out. I do like 30 minutes is all I can really manage. And then I have to take a break. (laughs) Perfect. Hey, you got to start somewhere yeah and i'm tickled because I mean, it keeps me moving until i can get back into something a little bit more energetic well you
2: know? yeah i mean my my father-in-law is sort of facing the same, same kind of thing he's been active all his life and now he's in a wheelchair like yeah but he's rough. finding new and interesting ways of getting into trouble so okay. <laughs> hey i had a
1: friend who was in a wheelchair he used to go dancing and do wheelies
2: <laughs> <laughs> well he's got wheelie bars to make sure he doesn't do that <laughs>
0: my uh my wife uh i found this thing under tree in this in this kind of a tall narrow box weighs about two pounds and it's an amazon echo i don't know if you've ever seen or heard these things before but they're becoming quite popular uh her name is alexa and it's hooked up to the internet you just plug it into the wall and Uh, You just say Alexa, what's the weather going to be? And here she goes. Oh, cool. (laughs) I I don't know if you can hear.
1: Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So,
0: so it's kind of kind of a fun thing, Uh, and I mean, you can ask it pretty much any kind of question, and uh, usually nine times out of ten, she'll give you an answer. But uh, so you can do
2: your internet searching without using your sore fingers. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, hey, what are we drinking tonight? Uh, Vicki, uh, what uh, ah, what you got in your cup?
1: I decided to be a little different tonight. I got, you know, I just went looking. I always, whenever I'm home, I try to grab some of the local wines and meads and beers and stuff to bring back. And um, I picked up a bottle of 100% cherry wine from traverse bay winery and it's um it's a sweeter style but with tart cherries so it's you know it's Mm. and it's cool fermented so it's got kind of this almost um it's got a nice acid back end see it's not overwhelmingly sweet and uh lots of cherry flavor lots and lots of cherry flavor i really like it
0: cool aj uh what did you pour
2: Um, I was going to have some raspberry wine that I opened over the holidays and didn't finish, but then a friend of mine came over tonight and gifted me with a bottle full of his almost Joe's Ancient Orange. Uh, He made it with T58 beer yeast, and he did not use any of the orange fruit, only the rind, and I'm... uh, I'm getting halfway into this cup already, and it's uh, pretty darn good. The uh, yeast packed down really, really tight. Like, tilting the bottle didn't make it fluff up or anything, so that's got definitely got an advantage <laughs> over bread yeast <used> for that. <laughs> and uh, it's a little bit drier than usual, but it's still fairly balanced. Um, the orange is fairly muted,
0: um, and the spices are more forward, but it's, it's really quite nice. Awesome. Well, after all my nagging that I've been doing at my local Total Wine, finally. <laughs> Finally, I'm drinking rabbit's foot uh meadery tonight, the sweet mead, and I girls, I can't put the freaking glass down. Just okay?
1: <laughs> I, did I, I tell you? Did I not tell you? Mr. <laughs> uh, I've been dissing Mr. I've been dissing on sweet meads since the day we started this thing. <laughs> I kept telling you, you get the right ones and it's going So many uh
0: so many of the of the other sweet meads that I've had have just been I mean they're good, but Uh, They're almost a little too sweet. This is absolutely perfect. Uh, I I just, like I said, I just. Michael will be happy to
1: hear you say that.
0: (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, I hats off. I mean, this 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 has risen to the top of my list. Uh, You know, uh, this is absolutely a great great meat. So.
1: Yeah. uh, He he makes really excellent.
0: Yeah uh welcome to got Mead live here tonight uh like i said uh, at the beginning uh we're back from vacation uh ready for another eight week set here uh and uh if you uh, haven't yet uh become a patron member at the gotmead.com forum site just go to gotmead.com, sign up in the forum and uh, pay your membership and uh, there's a whole lot more information People heard me preach over the last, I don't know, 15, 16 shows before the, <laughs> the, the break. You
1: mean the last 19, 19 shows. This is show 20, so
0: yeah. <laughs> or so, something like that, yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to preach anymore. Just go do it. You're going to be amazed at the amount of information uh, that's behind that other door there at the GodMead.com forum. And uh, Facebook, of course, is simply Meed. And then uh, make sure you join that mead group uh, that's part of the Got Mead Facebook as well. A whole lot of cool people there uh, posting uh, pictures of their meads and asking questions and a very helpful, another very helpful resource at gotmead.com uh, on the Facebook page there. Twitter, uh, at Got Mead now. Uh, if you can't call us tonight, make sure you tweet us. I think Vicki's manning the uh, the tweeter. tweeter. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 do- doing my doing my best to man Twitter and, and Facebook the me groups. So yeah, switching back and forth between pages. So if you don't hear from me right away, um, that's because I'm jumping around.
0: <laughs> and, uh, uh, Oscar uh, Oscar is going to be on hiatus for this segment. Uh, he is uh, you know under heavy fire.
1: Uh, (laughs) Oscar's under siege with the upcoming uh, Mazer Cup and he will actually be coming on as an interview guest in the near future I'm hoping right around the end of January to talk about the Mazer Cup competitions in general and you know just an opportunity for him to let you guys know what's going on with the Mazer Cup this year and what you can expect because he's the president of the Mazer Cup uh, organization now so um, that's going to be fun
0: yeah, and, and you know, continue to send your questions in. I mean, it's, you know, we're not oh, yeah. f- doing that. If, uh, pete, if pete
1: doesn't get a chance to answer him don't worry we'll we'll get somebody to deal with it like today it's ask sergio so you know and uh some other day it might be asked go oh, i don't know ken schramm or you know there you go. anything can happen i got friends in places
0: you know <laughs> to, uh, submit your questions just simply go to com and uh, check the links uh, on the top of the web page there you'll find it and uh fill out the form you know and please follow all the directions uh otherwise your your question is just simply not going to be answered the call in please
2: tonight, err on the side of talking too much yeah, we want exist. more information than less
0: more is better in this case uh the call in number tonight always 818-921-4680 921-4680 the show links of course uh, gotme.com website uh, to listen live or if you're mobile make sure you go to tunein.com download the app for iOS or Android take us with you if you have to and then the uh, replays are always available at gotme.com just click on the radio uh, the radio station uh, link up there at the top of the page and, hey, uh, you can also download the SoundCloud app, uh, you know, iTunes. Uh, again, if you're mobile and can't get to the uh, GodMe.com website. But that is our preferred uh, method of listening right there at godme.com. So with that, we're going to step away, take a commercial break. When we come back, Amina Harris is going to join us from UC Davis. Sit tight. from the most amazing and creative alcoholic beverages made from honey. Bee Nectar is a worldwide sensation. Bee Nectar gives their fans a variety of options from their famous zombie killer, a hard cider made with honey and cherries to kill all the golfers, a lightly carbonated draft mead made with black tea and lemon juice. Bee Nectar makes mead, ciders, and beers that extend beyond the traditional. They let their imaginations guide them. Learn more at bee nectar.com. That's bee nectar with a K dot If you're a mead maker, you need GotMead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The forum consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GotMead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. GotMead.com. Sign up today. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead making awards, Melovino opens his doors becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing variety, Melovino is the fastest growing meadery in the country. Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to Melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road near the rear of the Millburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com Hey, this is J.D. Webb from Got Mead Live. You know it's all about the mead here at Got Mead, and I have to tell you, I am in love with Fling from Moonlight Meadery. The way they balance the tartness from the rhubarb against the semi-sweet strawberry and orange blossom honey is just amazing. Do yourself a favor. Go buy some Moonlight Meadery Meads now. Visit them at their online store at MoonlightMeadery.com forward slash store or ask for it where you shop. Demand it where you shop. Ask for Moonlight Meadery Meads. And we are back live here on Got Me Live. And I want to get this out uh, right away. Saturday, February 6th, for the third consecutive year the Honey and Pollination Center at the Robert Mondavi Institute will host a actually feast, a celebration with mead and honey. That sounds like something I need to go to. I know,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Buy a plane ticket a, and come a, on out
0: on He's February, in
1: California, so you know.
0: On Saturday, February sixth, uh, twenty sixteen, uh, and I'm, I'm reading right from the copy here. Yeah, I can. <laughs> yeah, you want me to pick this up because I know this one. Um, uh, Robert Mondavi. Institute at the UC Davis campus. Uh, this is a Mediterranean inspired menu. Oh, God, I gotta go. Uh, <laughs> it, it created by Ann Evans, author of the Davis Farmers Cookbook, and Kathy Riley, uh, a caterer and past chef at Zuni Cafe in San Francisco. Uh, they'll begin the evening with mead cocktails at 6 o'clock p.m., candlelight and music by the Johnny Gold Trio. Uh, we'll set the relaxed atmosphere. A four course meal will follow. God, I'm getting hungry already. Uh huh. <laughs> and we'll end the evening and the ultimate after dinner mead flight led by legendary Daryl Corti. So uh, go to honey.ucdavis.edu uh, and click on the events tab there and uh, make sure you get uh, the uh, rest of the information and get those tickets. Man, I- oh yeah. That sounds really... really <laughs> Don't forget
4: to buy the plane ticket to get you here.
1: <laughs> well, he's in Southern California, so that oh. could be like one of those all-day coastal drive things,
0: you know. <laughs> really? Uh, we've talked so much about making mead, best practices, and we've really had some really amazing guests on our show in the past. Tonight, we take a closer look at one of the major components that makes mead-making possible, and of course, that's honey. She is the director of the Honey and Pollination Center at the Robert Mondavi Institute at UC Davis. Boy, that's a mouthful. Mm -hmm. Please welcome Amina Harris.
2: Well, hi there. This
4: is really fun to be with you guys live. Um... I've only done this once before, so I'll probably say silly things. Watch out for me.
1: Oh, we're, we're like, the, we're like the, the Kings of silly. We love. Yeah. Silly. You'll so sit right yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, this is totally all about having a good time here. This is, this is not like super serious. This isn't
2: CNN. <laughs> <laughs> we all pour a glass of meat and talk about meat and yeah, see Exactly. What yeah. Right. So. Well, let's, let's see. I do have some meat up above
4: if you want some, but it's really hard to get it to, uh, you know what (laughs) kind (laughs) do (laughs) you want
3: I have my latest
4: favorite right now (laughs) which is which is what what is your latest favorite well I'm really loving um, Ken Schram's ginger meat I haven't had that one yet what's it like well, it's just it's just perfect. I love real gingery <laughs> food. I like real I like very strong ginger. Um, so one of the things we're going to do for the feast that you were talking about is um, our cocktails are actually going to be Moscow mules made with ginger mead. Oh, nice! Yeah, I'm really excited about that. So instead of just serving a, a standard sparkling mead or something like that, we're going to actually make a cocktail, and then we're also going to be serving a Meyer lemon honey lemonade.
3: Oh Ooh. wow! <laughs> yeah, you know, not everybody likes nice. to
4: drink and uh, or alcohol. They all like to drink, but we don't all like alcohol for one reason or another. So we're going to be doing the honey lemonade. So it's, that's a twofer because the honey the lemons have to be pollinated, and they're often air poll wind pollinated, but they make bigger and better lemons if there's honeybees around. Yeah, so but, we'll get a double whammy with that one. <laughs>
1: So what? Okay, the the. I mean, I know a, a, a reasonable amount about the Honey and Pollination Institute, but there's a or center. There's a lot of people out there that don't know, you know, what you guys are up to, what you're, what you want to do. So talk to us about that. And you know, I mean, you've been around there for what three, four years now. Jim, we just started our fourth year, much to my
4: amazement, um, or maybe it's our third year. I don't really know. I think it's our fourth. <laughs> um, but we started uh, the whole concept of the Honey Center initially was just a honey center. It was all going to be focused on honey, honey as a food, honey as a better way to go. And as we started developing the proposal, the grant that the university would fund to help us get here, um, we realized that the most important thing about honey is actually pollination. Okay. Honey is a byproduct of something that, that we need desperately as as people. And uh, that was just as, um, as the drought was getting a real strong foothold. Um, certainly the decline of the bee has been happening throughout the time I've been doing this. So Um, We wrote the grant and moved in the pollination piece, um, involved the Department of Entomology to start. They were Mm -hmm. very, very involved, And, and we kind of got rolling, and I couldn't... And I was was spending a few months just trying to figure out, okay, I'm creating a program. What do I do? You know, I've never done that. I've never created this kind of program before. I've created other things. And I've been in the honey industry since the early 1980s. So I've been there for a long time. But I just wasn't sure exactly what direction I should take the whole program into. Um, And so initially what happened is that I literally bumped into Frank Goldbeck, who owns Golden Coast Mead in Southern California. And he said, you're at the Robert Mondavi Institute. You need to do something. You're at UC Davis. We have to get something about mead happening. And I went, mead? It had never occurred to me. And literally within three months i came back from that short meeting um within three months with an entire program developed that i did with the department of Entom- of uh, viticulture and Anology and uh vicki attended that very first program that was and, cool um, and you know and we've been kind of growing and pushing and trying to figure out what we should do uh ever since and so the last one we did last fall For mead was um, a hands-on class and that was quite successful so we were handling 60 people um in a hands-on situation inside the winery that isn't really designed to have
1: 60 (laughs) people and many groups going on and then they actually made a mead guys i mean it was really cool some of the pictures were awesome. awesome yeah Yeah, the pictures were fun (laughs) they were fun um, and then we um and I I'd been
4: using a number of well-known weed makers as co-teachers along with the viticulture people we had Mike Fall Michael Fairbrother Ken Trim and Pete Bakalich so that we ended up um People really liked it because it meant they had a huge amount of time to ask all the questions they ever wanted to ask about mead. And we had people that came from all over the world. Um, mm-hmm. We actually had, at this particular course, this last one last fall, we had two people from Australia, one from India, and one from South America, plus an assortment of Canadians and Americans. So we're, you know, the word is out. Um, our next course, which is uh, continuing Mead course, it'll be much more sensory-oriented and science-oriented, um, is coming up on the 8th and 9th of February, and then that's followed on the 10th by a course in business, how to how to write business plans, how to design a meadery, how to talk to the TTB and get new labels and get them right. Um, uh, we'll have some case studies. So, that whole program is coming up, and I've already got people coming from around the world for that one, too. So, it's, it's sort of interesting to see that uh, the interest is international, and most of these people know that they should be coming to the States to get the information. And they're, you know, they're, I, I just find it astonishing. And the Mead people are wonderful people to work with, which really makes
3: it nice.
1: <laughs> well, we like what you're doing. And I mean, everything I've heard, because, you know, I mean, I kind of keep my ear on in the industry, and everything I've heard, people are so excited that you guys are doing this because it, you guys, you guys lift us up a level in legitimacy, if that makes any sense. You know, I mean, we, oh, we're, but there's a lot of people out there who just don't know what the meat industry is and the fact that we're associated with the honey pollination center and Mondavi institute uc davis and they're like oh wow we know who that is you know so <laughs> you know it's kind of like we're going we know these guys they know us so it's all good <laughs> well,
4: and that is yeah that is part of the idea i you know i mean i'm one of the things that um that did happen is we wrote We wrote a research grant that we submitted to the National Honey Board, and the National Honey Board brought us back and said, oh, there's so much information out there about meat already, we don't need to help fund research.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, we, oh. If I remember right, that was pretty hilarious because their first response was, well, there's really not that much out there and we just don't think that it's that important. And then well, we kind of said, here's got all the
0: stuff. you know? all right. on anyway, right? Right.
1: So, <laughs> well, <laughs> a, lot of it, mean, a lot of it is. but uh, Yeah. But, well, most of it's linked there, but there's a lot of outside stuff that's been done that, you know, like people like Ken Schramm and, Robert, and Roger Morse. And, I mean, just a lot of people over the years have done that have lent a lot lot to it but yeah you know i mean that's i I think it's crazy that they think that
4: so the the funny thing about it was that outside of things like roger morse's work that was done in 1976 um and it's been a while uh um, what was interesting is they quoted all the people who had Said, we need some research. They quoted Steve Pietz, they quoted Ken Schramm, they quoted Pete, they put, I mean, you name it, the list kind of went on and so it was, that was sort of bizarre to me. But at any rate, what we just decided to do, and I got permission just before the winter break, is that I will be establishing a research mead fund so that mead makers from all over the country can contribute into this fund. It's, non-profit, it's a non-profit contribution. They can put in any amount they want, and um, we will be channeling it to the research that we're, we had proposed to the National Honey Board, and we've already started, um, but we'll be b- being able to fund it, buying the honey, funding a graduate student if we can get enough people interested. And hopefully if we can get between five and $10,000 a year, um, that will be a, a good start. And then we can take that... Research and that concept of funding. Um, a lot of funders like to see matched funds. So if they say that the industry is putting up seventy-five hundred dollars, there, if they put up seventy-five hundred, they at least feel like they've got backing from the people who are really vested. Yeah. And so, yeah. so this is very important, and um, uh, it's a real exciting opportunity
1: for me, all the way around. Yeah, it really is. What I, I I was talking with Frank Goldbeck at Golden Coast yesterday and. He mentioned something about you guys are looking for bad needs to evaluate. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah. So what's up with that
4: is actually I have three emails sitting here from the woman whose specialty is wine defects, and she's oh, got cool. she's looking at um, doing a whole thing on meat defects. She's got a, a one defective oh, oh meat in her lab right now. <laughs> That'll be amazing. Uh, <laughs> and she's looking to pick up a few more to talk about. And one of the things that this coming course is going to be is very sensory oriented. Um, some people are probably going to be offended if they send me mead that they think is really terrific, and uh, Hildegard Heyman, who is one of the world's leading um, wine sensory scientists, starts saying, you know, that you're missing here, and you're missing this, and you need to have X, Y, or Z. Certain things stay the same, whether it's mead or it's wine. There's mouthfeel and aroma and, you know, what you, what you want to get. You don't want to open up a bottle and Smell something a little off, yeah. Even even sometimes if it's intended, you don't want to have that be your first smell. You know, I was in a honey comp. I was judging a honey competition, and uh, this person had done a truffle honey. And what he had done is he Ooh. had a, a long, tall jar of honey. I like. I, I love truffles. Yeah. Um, and he had taken one piece of truffle and laid it on the top, a thin, thin, dried slice. And when you opened the jar, the smell of the truffle was so overwhelming that yeah. you, didn't, you didn't want to taste the honey. So to me, that says, great concept, didn't work. Poor and execution, yeah. People are, yeah. <laughs> I mean, people, people are going to have to be able to say, Whoa. You know, I thought this was a really great mead, and now I'm hearing, you know, you need to be working on your mouthfeel a little bit here. It's got this, it's got that. It's a little Titanic, or you know, whatever the various items that the that the uh, professors will start looking at. But this is a case where we do. Um, everybody uh, has agreed to teach those the first two days, and it should be a really interesting course because we. Yeah. Have, uh, we have the top of everything happening.
1: Well, <laughs> you know, I've got a couple of, and these are commercial meads. Uh, at least one of them is from a meadery that's no longer out there. But I've got, I've got a couple that are pretty bad. If you want them, <laughs> I'll send them to you. Um, well, I need I mean, to have
4: about six so, bottles because hopefully we'll have seventy people tasting.
1: <laughs> okay, well, um, I can't do six <laughs> bottles of each kind. I've got, like, lone bottles of this or that that were like, oh, my gosh, you know. <laughs> However, <laughs> Lucy, Lucy
4: Joseph, who's doing that research, may love to try them. So if you want okay. to... Have- you know, that would yeah. be great.
1: All right. I'll, uh, I'll dig them out and, and uh, package them up and get them to you, and you can pass them along with my compliments.
0: And I'm, <laughs> right. sure, I'm sure I've got a couple laying around, too. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, I there's think been, everyone I, does. And, and, you know, putting out that call, I know I, we had an AMMA meeting today, and that was something that um, th- it was briefly mentioned. But I think that's something to get out there. You know, uh, if you want to do, you know, put something together and get it to me, I'll see it gets out on all the venues I have access to, to, you know, to see that, which is quite a few to, you know, to see that people can do it. Because I think it's a good thing. And I know mead makers would tend to go, ah, I don't want to admit that any of my meads are terrible, but everybody's got failures, you know, everybody. <laughs> well, I'm identifying your good, failures
2: yeah. is the way to, f- to fix them and improve your yeah, mead, though. exactly. I'd rather someone be honest with it.
4: Oh, and... And I think that to me, sitting here, you know, I'm sitting here in Wine Central, right? (laughs) Yeah, Um, (laughs) Yeah, it really is. And everybody is very wine centric. And what's been so interesting is watching... Different people in the viticulture department, particularly Chick um, Brenneman, who's the winemaker, Melissa, who is his new assistant, and uh, Dave Block, who is the chair, you know, they've been tasting more and more meads, and their eyes are opening, and they're really getting it, you know, so it's been fascinating to see their interests growing, you know, I mean, they're tasters. They're trained tasters. They know what yeah. they're going for. And they know when they've got it wrong and they know when they've got it right. So, um, it's, it's really fascinating. But I think, uh, I'm trying to remember, but it, we had a, a branding discussion here in the fall and, uh, um, Ken Tram said, the one thing I want to do is to see Claire. She's the executive director of the whole institute. I mm-hmm. want to see her do one of those drop dead moments with one of my meats. Like, oh, my God, yeah. this is so good. I can't believe it. And, <laughs> and she took a taste. I can't remember which meat he had brought. She took a taste and she just did exactly that. Her, nice. her She took the taste, the smell. You know, she did the whole thing. And then her eyes just lit up, her mouth dropped open and Ken just raised his arm and went, "Yes." <laughs> oh,
3: <wow>.
4: That's great. <laughs> you know, because she is only a wine drinker, but, you know, I mean she's, you know, she can go
1: I've never seen a, a drop of beer in her hands. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, and there are those people
1: who, you know, they just don't they just don't, you know, right. do, do the other thing. So I, I found it really interesting. I mean, when I was at that first class, y'all ha- had, what was that, two years ago? Um, and to see not only who showed up from the meat industry, but to watch the uh, approach and reactions of the folks from the Mandavi Institute and what they had to say and, you know, what they were doing, I I was really impressed with how open they were to the possibilities that really impressed me and you know given how wine centric as you say you know it is around there that's very uh that's really encouraging
4: right so our last course the other thing that was interesting about it was um how many want this was a beginner's course i build it as a total rank beginner's course come learn how to make mead hands-on that's it not only did I have, out of the 60 people that were there, at least 25 were experienced mead makers mm-hmm. um, or winemakers, I think we had 15 wineries represented. Really? So, right, wow. wineries planning to start making mead. Nice. And it, it ran a huge gamut all the way up to cake red cellars. Wow. The other part that was interesting was to see the cideries that were there. I think we had two cideries. Uh, so there's, um, you know, the people who are in the fermenting industry, let's say, mm-hmm. know that meat is where it's co- it's going to be. And yeah. they're, they're starting to move in. So if, if there was something I was going to say to meat makers, it would be be careful because, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, people, people who do have the money are right behind you. And well, uh, I don't see that as a downside, really, though, because if we can get some of the wineries with some swing, you know, a big wineries that have the ability to. Um, to change the game. I mean, there's so much that needs to happen industry-wide in terms of the legislation and the way meat is viewed by the TTB and the federal government to make it more accessible to the American public and to make it easier for the meateries, wineries, cideries and what have you to get it out there. So, honestly, I see that as a big, huge, positive thing. If we can all ride on each other's coattails to success, everybody wins.
4: Right. I agree with that I loved it when Sam Adams came out with their braggot. Yeah, which they mm. called a braggart. I mean, they didn't, they, they weren't playing terms, they just said,
1: This is a braggot. done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, you want to know what a braggart is, you look it up. Yeah, <laughs> well, and the neat thing was, is that that right there, okay? Sam, Sam Adams is a big hitter, you know, I mean, it's one of the mm. biggest hitters, and they are basically tacitly, without really saying it, acknowledging that we are here. Right. That's exactly right. I would totally agree with that.
0: And that's exciting. We're talking to Amina Harris tonight from the uh, UC Davis, from Robert Mondavi Institute UC Davis. She is the director of the Honey and Pollination Center uh, there. And, uh, you know, the one question I have, Amina, is – is this course ever going to be offered as an online? Is it possible to uh, to do something like that, maybe in the future?
4: well, we we actually put our first course that we did online, where we put most of it on. Some of the some of the videos didn't work so well. Um, <laughs> but we discovered two things. We're a small organization, and to hire someone to do a good video is very expensive. Yeah. And so um, I have to I have to raise fundraise my entire budget, and so, including my salary. So if I have to do that and then pay a videographer, mm, financially, that's not so good. Mm-hmm. The thing we realized is, Also, when you're doing tasting, it's really hard to express what's going on online (laughs) when someone's not holding in their hand and tasting your experience. So So, it started to backfire in a lot of ways. I've had a lot of requests for um, at least... The books, or the notes, or the video, the uh, the powerpoints. Uh-huh. But again, it's usually the discussion that drives these. And the what happens during lunchtime, and you know, and after when we do, uh, we have a little open party every. Um, one night of the of each course and it's just all the mead makers hanging out and talking with everyone so I can go ahead and try to create that but I just don't think people are gonna end up feeling very satisfied at the end yeah. Yeah. And, um, and that's my concern so we did try it people bought it um, I didn't sell it for very much because the quality of the video was very bad I think it's still online and people can still. Buy that first course for fifty dollars. Then we also realized that if they can buy a course for fifty
1: dollars, why would they come here and spend three hundred or? Because the video, because the video was really bad and they missed out. And on you all that. can't <laughs> taste the wine. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. and you can't taste the selection. Yes. And there so. wasn't <laughs> all those cool honeys to try. And I mean, I love the honeys flight. That was awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's right. there's so much more that that you know that is just the the written portion of what is really a very sensory. Event and you know there's there's nothing that you can really compare to the live thing, right? You just, so can't. just
4: To give you an idea, of what we do have coming up, I'm, I mean, one of the things I was thinking as we start to put together this course, and then I have an, a honey course coming up similarly. Um, when I put together this course, I was thinking gee, maybe we should do a huge tasting just of mellow and let's talk about what a mellow should be and what it should taste like. And And we're going to do some of that, but the, the bigger question really was defects. Um, what makes something not work? Yeah. And uh, and so we're, I think we're going to focus more into the defects, but I thought for, um, for judging uh, at, at various meat events that people really need to be need their education standardized in some way, which is more and more what we're starting to see and we're actually doing that for honey starting this spring we're creating um, we're taking all the kind of courses that I've ever taught about tasting honey and the honey wheel and I'm working with some um, very well known sensory scientists and some folks from Italy who teach courses and we're actually going to create a course here on honey sensory experience and do and we have a lot of research happening on campus. We have um, pollen research, you know, po- uh, the various pollens that are inside each honey. Um, we have a, a GC a gas uh, chroma. I always say this wrong. Chroma. Chromatograph. I That's it. I'm yeah, right. I can never do it
2: right either. <laughs> right. I'm really bad.
4: I just say I was told just say GC and everybody will understand. Yeah, um, I got D's in chemistry, so yeah, that right. stuff doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> so they so they create maps of all the aromas of of the of each honey. Oh, which is nice! Really cool. And then that we're also cool. doing the chemical analysis at um, in another lab. So we have three different labs working on three different aspects of honey alone, That's and so we'll neat. be presenting all that. Research. Search and then you know I mean the thing that you know it's it's not just the honey center and we're not a mead center but we no. are doing all this work with mead um, but I but we are also a pollination center and we've been working a lot. Um, at helping people become better beekeepers. Uh, we have several programs, um, Master Beekeeping Program uh, that we're in development on that will be a statewide program. And we have nice. uh, a bee symposium that we do every year that we started last year. And uh, so it's, there's some real wonderful work that I do with the entomology department trying to build awareness, create better beekeepers, uh, more knowledgeable beekeepers, especially with all the problems we're having right now. Yeah. Because it takes a knowledgeable beekeeper to have healthy bees.
1: Yeah, very true. And and so, and there's and that's kind of, a, I hate to say a dying art, but certainly one that's fallen off a lot in recent years and one that I think needs to get a lot of momentum behind it to start creating, even if you can't get big beekeepers to happen, I mean, more big beekeepers to happen, if you can just get a grassroots movement of people just with a few hives in their backyard, that can make a huge difference. I'm
0: and that's
3: not, exactly uh, right.
0: I've got some questions about bees uh, here that we'll catch up on here in just a minute. But, Amina, uh, are you up for taking some questions from uh, our audience? We have callers. We I have can callers. Can,
1: I can try. <laughs>
0: 8824, you're on with uh, Amina Harris from the Robert Mondavi Institute. Uh, what's your name? Where are you from? And welcome. Welcome. Good evening. This is Matt from Minneapolis. How are you? Matt from Minneapolis. I should have recognized that.
2: (laughs) Hi, Matt. (laughs) Good evening. Good
5: evening. Go ahead, Matt. Well, I, I guess I have a comment and a question. First, the comment i'm having a great 2016. uh currently i'm organizing my entrance uh entries for the maser cup which uh, hey. registration opens up on uh, january 8th i believe here so that's yeah. coming up End of this
1: week would be my guess yeah
5: yeah i also today uh, signed up for the american meat makers association yeah. uh just the home home meat maker individual uh, sponsorship but so uh, that that's going well, and then earlier uh, this week I signed up for that uh, UC Davis Continuing Education class and uh, business development uh, course as well. So I'm pretty excited about heading out to uh, California here in a little bit, uh, especially since it's about one degree in Minneapolis. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so so I'm going to get to meet you.
1: Yeah,
5: absolutely. I'm re- I'm really excited about that, and I guess from from the comment to the question. I heard earlier uh that you're looking for things <clears throat> I call them there's two kinds of needs that I make one are are tasters those are the ones that I like to share and have people taste, and then the others are teachers. Those are the ones that'll <laughs> teach me never to do that again yeah. so I, think, <laughs> I I could maybe bring a couple of each so we'll we'll see we'll see how that goes. I'm excited to be there.
1: Well, there you go, Matt. One
4: of the things that does happen at these is, and we'll be doing it Monday night because it's a Monday-Tuesday program this time. Um, Monday night, we will be, um, there's a hotel that most everybody stays in. We hang out in the bar or outside, and um, everybody evaluates everybody's meat that they bring. Yeah. So it's informal, but it's really fun. And I think Vicky can attest to how I don't know how many ghost pepper meads came by us. Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If Mike Fall offers you a ghost pepper mead, just say no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just touching my tongue to the glass ripped my face off. It was terrifying. <laughs> I mean, if you really like peppers. It's a great thing. But I just was up to, I was not capable of handling that level of pepper. See, and I but thought it was uh, Ryan Schluter no he had a really wicked one too but uh, Mike Fall had that he had taken Malia his uh, show sweetmead and yeah. he dropped a ghost pepper in each bottle and they're only 500 ml bottles so they were like just like and it wasn't it didn't I mean the mead was really good and, and amazing but I mean it was just like Whoa, hot you know but yeah shooters <laughs> was pretty
0: wicked too I remember that go ahead uh, with your question there Matt uh, we've got another call waiting
5: Oh sure no. Well, I, I think the real question was. Is I just wanted to uh, say I'm really excited about the course, and if it's okay, I will be bringing uh, some needs to try, and I'm excited that uh, I might be able to ha- have you try some of my needs, and I, and I hope that it's mostly the tasters and, and not necessarily <laughs> the teachers. So. Well, give her, give her
1: the give her the teachers to give to the lady who does the defects, who's into defects, and she'll have all sorts of fun with right, them. You know,
5: there's only so many so many bottles though that I can check in my uh, in my luggage, so. <laughs>
3: Know that yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: well, thank you very much.
4: Thanks, thanks for calling thanks in. Looking forward to
0: seeing you. Thanks for the Great. call, Matt. And uh, we've got forty-six twelve on the line with us. Uh, what's your name? Where are you from? And uh, welcome to the show. Well, this is Dave Glenn from South Texas. You got it. Hey, another Dave. number I should have recognized. We got
1: all these regulars. You, know? <laughs> yeah. you do? Yeah. Well, I don't know these David people. Wolf. Yeah. Well, now you're getting to know them, so you <laughs> have fans. Don't, don't think this is going to be the last time you're on the show. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> no. you know? Okay. Keep me posted. <laughs>
0: You've been warned. <laughs> Go ahead, David. Welcome. Uh, and I hope you had a good holidays, too. Yeah, it was relaxing.
6: Um, uh, My question, it's more from a honey production standpoint, having to do with varietals and all that. Um, I've heard, you know, most beekeepers say they have a a varietal because of the dominant flower at the time, but I've heard you could send it to the FDA for testing. Um, Is that true, and where would you send it? Because I looked on their website and couldn't find any information on that.
4: I have never heard of anyone testing at the FDA. As a matter of fact, I send them samples. I collected samples for the FDA because they wanted to start working on how they're going to research adulterated honey coming from offshore. Uh, But I don't know that they do, that their lab is set up to take anybody's samples. The only person I know who takes samples like that is, um, oh shoot, of course his name just eluded me. He's at a Texas A&M and it'll come in probably somewhere during the next part of the show. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's the only person I know who does it. His name will come into my brain, but he's doing pollen analysis. So he can tell yeah, you if the pollen's in the, the honey. I heard it was. Right. Now there seems to be, so to give you an idea, um, a couple of years ago we sent, uh, I also own a honey company, Z-Specialty Food, and we specialize in varietals. And, um, we sent him a, a sample of Florida tupelo that is produced. It's the only. There's only a couple of people actually producing tupelo right now. It's it was very close to pure tupelo, and it came up with no pollen from from tupelo.
1: Oh, now, interesting.
4: Well, right now, what I don't understand, and and I have to. I mean, I, I I'm. That doesn't mean that it still isn't tupelo honey, but it didn't have the signature pollens, and I don't understand enough about how this process is done. And so I felt like before I, you know, I just need to know more about it. There is someone on campus also doing it here, um, and they're working with folks from Estonia also, where they're doing it. Um, there's, There's actually a fair amount of pollen analysis happening around the country, but if I can only remember the guy's name, then you can send it to him. And it's just, it just refuses to show up in my brain.
1: <laughs> well, that's okay. When you get it, let me know, and I will put it up on the uh, Got Me pages and, and also on all the social media so that people will know. So, you know, don't worry us. that can't.
0: Thanks, uh, thanks for your question, David. Oh, no problem.
4: Yeah, and I hope, you know, if I can come up with his name, at least you can go there and find out what, you know, if he can help you out.
3: But yeah, he, and, and,
4: what's interesting about what he does is he's actually not, um, involved in beekeeping, uh, but he does this to fund his graduate students, which I think
1: is really cool. That is really cool. Yeah.
3: I mean, um,
0: I, I've got, I've got a ton of questions about bees and, and honey and everything, but, uh, the calls are just coming through, uh, here and this next one, this next one, uh, I think he's uh, in Mississippi, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Chris from Miss?
0: And, and then, Hi, Chris. Yeah, I, I think this is Chris from, I think this is Mississippi Chris.
1: Chris uh, Mississippi Chris, who is a trauma and heart surgeon and had a really busy day today. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he called me earlier to ask me a couple of questions. The poor guy's just been, they've been working his fingers to the bone. Yeah, I'm doing good to be awake right now. Yeah, right. Did they finally (laughs) let you lose, Chris, or are you still trapped at the hospital? No, I'm at
6: home, but I've got uh, about two more hours on call, so Ah, I hope the phone doesn't ring. Yeah, Uh, really. uh, I had a a question. uh, You mentioned adulterated honey, which is a concern for all of us. Can you tell us a little bit about... um, uh, the stay of honey here in the United States, uh, commercially available honey, and uh, if you know, can you speak a little bit about the true source certified certified honey?
4: Um, yes, I can do a little bit of all of that. So, um, first of all, the the fellow's name came into my mind. His name is Vaughn Bryant, and he's at uh, Texas A and M. He's in the Department of Anthropology. So, if anybody wants to contact him about getting their pollen analysis done, Vaughn is the only person I know who's doing that in the U.S. I do know Marla Spivak has sent somebody to his lab to learn how they're doing it. Okay. So, to address what um, what's going on with uh, true source and um, and adulterated honey, uh, the adulterated honey issue is really interesting because it really is an issue about taxation. Honey. If its pure, it gets taxed it one way, and um, so what's going on is people are trying to figure out ways to get it into the country without getting taxed as heavily. If it comes from one country, it gets a higher tax than if it comes from another country, and I don't know the specifics. So a lot of honey comes out of China. And there's a higher taxation rate because it's so inexpensive. And if you want to avoid paying that taxation rate, you try to figure out the routing that you're going to do to make sure that that honey won't be selected. Um, Now, that doesn't mean they've added anything to it. But occasionally they do, and of course, one of the situations is, is that the chemical analysis of honey, on its, in its simplest way, is very similar to high fructose corn syrup, which is what they would add, and uh, they look quite similar under the microscope or in any kind of, you know, adjudication of that honey. So it's hard to hard to pick it out. But they are getting better. We are getting better at it, and that's what hopefully things like the GC technology will start to help with um true source honey um other than that one of the things my feeling is is buying local honey um or buying honey from a beekeeper or a processor that you know and trust will hopefully get you as pure a honey a varietal that you're looking for so there's a couple companies around the country that work closely with beekeepers you have to trust your beekeeper um The beekeepers are sort of the, the, let us say the beekeepers are are actually the true source. You know, they're the ones who know where they put their beehives. They know what the flow is like. They know if they're going to, they know if they have a good product. So, um, for instance, in, in my business, we've been very fortunate for the last couple of years to be collecting from our beekeepers some of the very best orange blossom honey I've ever tasted in my life. And it just keeps coming year after year after year. Of course, right now, um, citrus is under assault with the greening disease. So Florida isn't producing that much citrus honey. Um, The greening disease is killing off trees, and they're looking to start to treat the trees with neonicotinoids. Now, we all know what Uh that means. If we start treating the trees with neonics, then you're not going to take your bees there because your bees might die. And so it it just becomes a horrible cycle. Um, Now, honestly, oranges don't need to be pollinated by honeybees. They're wind-pollinated. They just produce a bigger, more robust orange if they are pollinated at the same time. It's the same for a few other products like that. Um, So... You know, we're sitting on a, a, a tough edge. Hopefully there won't won't be neonics in every field. I think they're going to try to concentrate it in certain areas and see how it goes. But we'll be watching that research to see what happens. In terms of true source, um, I am not 100% familiar with their, their entire program. Um, I know uh, theoretically they... Are guaranteeing that the country that they say their honey is from is actually from that country I don't know if they're guaranteeing floral source it's a I believe it's a country specific kind of program um, do I think you're getting better honey um, the the problem, if I was to say it's a problem, is that many of the people who put, if the problem is is that the people who put together True Source Honey are the beekeeper are the packers. So it's like they're monitoring themselves. They don't have an outside organization monitoring their process or their procedures. Doesn't mean that what they're doing isn't good. It's just that this kind of program is better if it was put together by an external group And then, um, then people could buy into it, or however they want to deal with it, and be um, have their honeys kind of track however that organization set it up, not how the company itself set it up. So the other piece is is that the true source companies in general, not in specific, but in general, are all big packers, and they're um, all doing heavily. They're heavily filtering a lot of their honeys, um, and. When you filter honey, you start to take out all the minute enzymes and pollens and things that make it unique. doesn't mean the flavor won't still be there. Many times the flavor is, but um, the honey won't crystallize. They feel it's very important as a group. The the big packers want to be able to offer honey that will not crystallize on the supermarket shelf. And so I... um, if I were to make a comment about True Source, as far as I know, what they're doing seems to be pretty good. They're telling you where the country of origin is. They're being accurate about that. Um, I just, I, I personally, I prefer my honey not to be processed as much as most of them are processing. Um, a similar, uh, there's another company called, um, I always get it backwards, I think it's uh, Natural American Foods. Um they're, uh, they own Miller's Honey and a few others, and they do not filter their honey to the degree that it would not crystallize. So I, I'm kind of liking what they do. They are not a member of the True Source Group, but they're very careful and honest about where they buy their honey.
0: Chris, nice. uh, thanks for uh, thanks for calling in, and uh, partner, I hope you're doing well down there in Mississippi. Doing um, great. Sure, okay
4: the uh me to talk a little bit about my company so people understand what I do other yeah.
3: yeah. yes yes please I, Chris you want to stick around
4: <laughs> I mean you may have some other questions as we go along Chris um, I've, I've been in the honey industry since the early 1980s and we were probably one of the first companies outside of Miller's that was doing where it's doing varietals. Um, I always like to say we never made any money until about five or six years ago when people became interested in varietal honey. Um, and that was because of colony collapse disorder. And all of a sudden people went, ooh, there's something to, we got to learn more about honey. And um, so our business finally started to boom. And we sell approximately 30 varietals from all over the United States. And we don't just sell Tupelo and Orange Blossom we also sell Lahua and Snowberry and um, uh, I don't I know what Snow you name Berry. it I
1: think <laughs> we have an awful well, lot of you funny. had uh, you gave me a little jar of a California wildflower that was fantastic and- Right. And well, unfortunately, have, I got it home, and all my friends thought it was fantastic too. And it disappeared really, really fast. <laughs> but,
4: uh, but we, we have a, we have a coriander but. honey that's savory. We have the wildflower. We try to we package two or three different kinds of wildflower. One is a spring one, which tastes quite different than a summer bloom. Um, we have uh, blackberry honey, raspberry honey, cactus honey, mesquite. Uh, you know, it's it, the list is so long. At times, I'm sitting there saying, "Oh, we have maple."
0: <laughs> oh my God! I'm, I'm coming to earth. your place.
4: Oh my God! See, okay. so you um, need to
3: so go go north, old man. the other thing,
4: the other thing Matt should know for that that called in earlier is that the um the entire group of participants in this course will be heading up to Z Specialty Food and doing a tasting. And being able to see what right. a barrel of honey looks like and smells like when it's dirty mm-hmm. and scummy and filled with, <laughs> you know, filled with beeswax and
3: <laughs> all the People different that yeah. I need
6: to get your <laughs> contact information because uh, I'm working on a little project that Vicky and JD and AJ know about, and uh, I may need to procure some honey from you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm I'm right I here will in California. The two of you, yeah. <laughs>
1: Sure, uh, Chris, if you go to uh, if you go to the page for the show tonight, I have linked her company in the description about Amina. Yeah. So uh, please, the company is linked right that. there. And you should really... Yeah, it's already there, so just go to that page, and you can click right on
4: through. Right, cool. and um, if you don't... We sell everything from... An, a, well, not everything in a two-ounce jar, but a lot of stuff in spl- tiny jars if you just want taste, all the way up to barrels, and uh, we have a lot, of, a lot of gallon containers for small home mead makers, and uh, we sell to a lot of commercial mead makers, too, so um, it's very interesting. We've been selling to more and more mead makers and to more and more beer makers, and uh, we've been selling to more flavor. <laughs> So it's right. quite, It's yeah, it's it's really exciting. All of a sudden, we have a business that's real.
0: <laughs> and you're located right here in California, right?
4: We're located in Woodland, California, not Woodland Hills. I am not in Southern California.
0: <laughs> yeah, Woodland Hills is just west of me. So.
4: <laughs> right, but people assume that when you say Woodland, you mean Woodland yeah. Hills. Woodland is uh, north of Davis, about 10
0: miles. I, you know what? I can, I, I can see a weekend trip coming up. I just have to <laughs> talk to my wife and tell her.
3: JD, <laughs> so you know I hate weekend, you. Right? So
0: make sure, make sure yeah. you uh, you call in advance I'll, to make I'll see call, if someone I'll, can meet you. I'll
2: call. Yeah. You know I hate you, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's, yeah, I mean he's re- yeah. he's
3: retired.
2: Yeah, I mean unlocked. he's retired, so like What's he's retired, sort of retired, mean, mean? <laughs> mean. yeah. I, uh, to JD, I mean doing nothing but meet stuff twenty four seven.
4: Right.
0: Well, I was going to retire, and then I took this job. Well, well, yeah, I was going to retire, and I took this job. So now I'm hosting radio (laughs) this radio show once a week. Oh, come on! You love it. Uh, Oh, yeah, I do. Well.
2: Take this job. You browbeat me into agreeing to yeah. have you do this
1: job. Oh my um, gosh! What a I... right? he did it. Oh, oh uh, uh,
2: the man stalked me until I agreed to give you know to, to
0: have him do the show. I needed to learn more about making mead, Amina, and got me everywhere I went, led me <laughs> back to gotmead.com. So I contacted the owner and I said, You need to do a radio show about mead, and I'm the guy that can produce it for you. And I uh-huh. have learned so much, okay? <laughs> I, I mean, you know, Chris and David Webb and all these guys that have been making mead for some time, yeah, calling in. <laughs> The whole interaction that we've had, uh, Pete Boclitch, uh is a uh, is a part of our show, uh, and, and I have learned a tremendous amount, and I'm on my way to producing what I'm thinking is going to be probably the best mead that I've ever done. So, that's, that's great. Probably, yeah. And
6: if uh, we haven't learned it, we're going to figure it out. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, See, my job is making all the mistakes first so no one else has to.
3: <laughs> That's the, other way. That the problem, you know, the problem is the I, mistakes you made,
4: make are not anyone else's
3: go
6: ahead. <laughs> you know J.D. and I we're probably on like the honeybees hit list yeah. they probably <laughs> hate us <laughs>
0: really oh god I, I have I have gone through so much honey uh, yeah
4: but yeah. They don't, they, they're willing to share the problem is they don't live long enough to have a mental history of who stole it yeah.
2: <laughs> i do actually one of the beekeepers was saying that one of the beekeepers was saying that uh, his bees got a whole lot more agreeable when he stopped trying to take the honey every month yeah oh yeah that kind of caught on yeah
4: (laughs) yeah a Uh, lot of a lot of bees don't like it when you show up with the smoker and get ready to go but if you i mean if you do it all you know my husband goes into our bees we, we have well, we have five colonies right now. They've dwindled down to two because it's winter. and um, But in the height of the summer, we'll have as many as five in our backyard. And uh, He'll go in every couple weeks. Um, he doesn't take honey out except a couple times a year, but he does go in and inspect them. And you need to do that. Otherwise, uh, they can get infected too easily with Varroa and a few other things. So you want to make sure they're healthy.
0: I- yeah. You know, you were talking about uh, you know the filtration of honey and, and whatnot here a little bit ago. I got to tell you, I just um, well, it's been it's been about a month ago. I picked up a five gallon bucket of wildflower from a local beekeeper, and it is it's it's right out of the hive. I mean, this stuff hasn't. I mean, it's it's right from the right from the hive. It's it's not. <laughs> Uh, from the hive right into a five gallon bucket I mean it's got the bee parts and and, you know the whole nine yards right it is it is the most amazing tasting honey that I have ever had what part
4: of Southern California was it from
0: El Monte oh of all places El Monte (laughs) well there's some agricultural I mean it's out in the agricultural the south end of of town out there southwest or southeast uh, part of town but i I, you know and i don't know if it's because it hasn't been through any kind of filtration or warmed up or anything i mean this is right from the extractor into a five gallon bucket period right and it just it tastes amazing
1: he's been going on about this honey for like three three months now (laughs) you know how much did you buy
0: five gallons and do you still have some oh yeah So
4: most likely, what you got is you know. I mean, it kind of depends on floral source. Uh, I think I had a honey. I had a wildflower honey that actually tasted. I'd never tasted honey like this because every time I tasted, it it tastes different. But one of its
2: one of the flavors
4: was bubble gum. Oh, (laughs) I've never had anything like that. It was amazing. I I wonder
2: if that was from Russian olive.
4: I you know I have no idea. (laughs) I was lucky I've never
1: tasted to get some anything. Oh, you got some? Yeah, well, we—I've
6: been using sour wood. Our local co-op uh, brings it in from the Appalachians.
1: And, How much would you uh, like? I was, well,
6: I, <laughs> well,
3: he lives—he lives, he lives down
1: up. by where they make it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I have—I have—I have,
4: and, uh, I, have um, I have 5 bottles of it sitting here on my counter.
6: I'll yeah, take well, some. I was lucky enough getting to rid get, of it. Uh, I got two five-gallon buckets straight from the extractor, just like JD was talking about. Mm -hmm. And it it is absolutely the best honey I've ever tasted. And uh, I think there's a lot to be said for unadulterated honey that's not been filtered. Don't mess with it. Take it out of the hive. Take it out of the comb, and use it. Right. Uh, It is absolutely the best thing I've ever used. And, uh, the only problem, it won't go with the, the one mead that I'm trying to make. It just doesn't, it, it clashes with it. So that's why I need to get in touch with your company.
0: <laughs> There's a, uh, we've, got, we've got several listeners who, who are listening via other sources. One of our listeners, his name is Brandon, uh, and he's in Malta. He uh, post a, uh, posted a question uh, to me on the Skype deal here. He says, uh, uh, and and this is kind of breaking away from our, our current conversation here. But his his question is uh, in Canada, and I, and yes, it is Canada, Brandon. Uh, there's a law about beekeepers required to have us ha- have their own hives. Apparently, 100, 100. hives minimum. Uh, yeah, I
2: haven't heard this. And oh yeah, this this is the first thing I found out when I wanted to go professional. Yeah, I need well, to be operated. I have to have a license, and I have to have um, no less than a hundred hives operating at all times. Yeah, hmm. and that's even actually, though there's no actual requirement that you use your own honey.
0: And, that, and that's actually a question that I had in, in my in my list of questions here. He, he wants to know what you think about that, and uh, is this a is this something that we should be looking into in the United States with the uh, you know the current state of our meaderies. Uh, I mean, there's meaderies popping up all over the place. And I, my, my concern is replenishing the resource. I mean, there's just so much yeah. money to go around, right? Well, Mike right.
1: Paul actually did a uh, really interesting calculation on the AMMA page on Facebook a while back. I really have to go grab that and put it on Got Mead. But it was basically saying, here's the annual honey production of the United States versus the annual honey usage for various sources and, and then did all the math. He's he's a big math guy. And he did all the math and came up with basically where we would hit the wall.
4: Right. Right. So to keep in perspective that whole piece about local honey or trying to buy honey that's, you know, at hand, U.S. honey, we only produce 20, about thirty three percent of the honey that Americans eat is produced in the United States. sixty about two-thirds of what we eat actually comes from offshore.
3: Oh, not, oh. at, wow.
4: at this point, we are not producing enough enough honey.
1: Are they Just- tracking the smaller honey producers? I mean, I know they track the big boys, like St. Ambrose has hundreds of hives and stuff like that, but... I think they track anybody with over
4: 50. I can't quite remember, but I think it's 50. Okay. Um, um, But, you know, I'm I'm zipping through, um, knowing that we've had some people from Canada coming to our courses. I am actually looking them up. I'm on a Canadian site as we're talking, Mm -hmm. and I'm not seeing... I mean, a few of them do keep bees. The Campbells keep bees. But a few, look, most of them don't seem to. So I don't. Yeah, know. they
1: they do. Go look at uh, Monroe, uh, Monroe Meadery, and Intermeal. Both have massive production. In fact, Intermeal yeah. exports honey from Canada to the rest of the world. Right. Then I'm just
4: looking. they most of them just say meat makers or winemakers? But they don't. Uh, only a couple are listing the fact that they're also honey production
2: well the the cheat is if you get registered as a winery then you mm-hmm. can use someone else's honey
4: oh but
2: that is you can't just yeah so the, how do you wanted other- to know
4: how i feel about that i think it's silly
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, and the reason i think it's silly is um and it's one of the reasons that we don't really sell much of our own honey and um, we have five colonies we put the honey that we that we collect every year. We actually do it as part of chunk comb, and we and the the strip of comb honey with, with the liquid, liquid honey comes from our backyard bees, um, and we sell that. But other than that, we can't guarantee that the honey we get is the honey we want to use. So if I was commercially keeping bees, and I put it in the oranges, and it was a yucky orange year, and I was stuck with orange blossom honey I didn't like, what good is that? It's not going to help anybody. If you really want a wonderful product, you need to have the ability to go out and source the honey you really want to have. And that will be my feeling about it. Do I think it's a terrible thing to learn and understand how bees operate? No, it's going to make you really respect your product a whole lot more at the end when you know how much work it goes into keeping bees. It's not like, oh yeah, I can go and I can order my you know, my five gallons of honey and I'm done. It's not a big deal. I have to go out instead. You have to go out to the hive. You have to suit up. You have to, you know, five gallons of honey is a lot of honey. You don't get that from just a few beehives. You really do need to have a lot of beehives. You need 150 two or more colonies to produce three or four barrels. So, you know, it's it's, uh, just not going to be, it wouldn't be an easy thing. I, I don't know that I would say that that's, a good kind of rule, because if you want varietal honey, you're stuck using what you have. You can't, you you can't be a varietal beekeeper. You know, can't get yourself down to Florida, get yourself over to the Southwest, out to Hawaii, um, into Oregon or Southern uh, Canada, um, then over to Nova Scotia to get some blueberry. You know, mm. it, you can't do it.
2: It's not going to work. Well, that's the thing, though. Is it, there's no stipulation that you must use your own honey. Oh you just have to be a beekeeper. But you have to be a beekeeper with at least 100 hives. So, I yeah. mean, if your neighbor makes better honey than you do, you trade your honey for theirs and, you know, or more appropriate for, you know. Mm-hmm. But And the other cheat is by lit registering as a winery, at which point you're allowed to make mead as a winery and you use whatever honey you get your hands on. Interesting. But in order to become a winery, you have to, That you can't put your winery on a street corner. You have to have it on the property where the fruit is processed. Right. And the same thing with a meadery you have to you have to uh, have your meadery on the same property uh, actually in the same building I believe it reads um, as your honey is processed
4: that's really interesting
2: I think it's really annoying and that's why as soon as my mortgage is paid off I'm gonna look at getting a (laughs) (laughs) farm. but you don't live in Canada I I do she does she's in Ontario yeah oh oh
4: wait who am I talking to this is AJ. I'm in Ottawa.
1: Oh, oh,
4: you're and, uh, in Ottawa.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's oh, our I'm... Canadian contingent. We've got me in North Carolina, her in Ottawa, and uh, J- JD in Southern California. Got it. So we're we're spanning the globe, as it were. We're, we're trying. trying. Yeah, yeah.
0: We're trying. But, Right. One uh, one last question here before we wrap this segment. And and Amina, my God, I mean, I, I, I could talk to you all night long. <laughs> he,
1: he's already <laughs> asked me to have uh, you back on so we can do some yeah. more, Amina. So, yeah, you're coming We didn't get to so his good. questions yet. <laughs> yep. Well, a
0: couple. Um, but uh, what, I guess the most important question that I have for the night, what is the current health of the bee population today?
4: Oh, the health. Now that's well, right now, bees sadly are being lost at the rate of about forty percent of colonies. Wow. And what that means is what makes that dangerous is that um, it's happening in the summer as well as the winter. So when you're up in ottawa, a j, you're you don't expect, you know, beekeepers will either wrap their hives, because bees cluster through the winter. So they'll wrap their hives and keep them as warm as they can, and then they open them up and they hope that they still have bees come springtime. Um, the big commercial beekeepers don't even stay in Ottawa. They go down and they leave their hives in Florida or or the... Um, or southern cal-, you know, they'll, they'll bring them. They'll bring them to southern California in the fall and, or to California in the fall rather. And the, um, actually I don't know how many Canadians are doing this. They just started again, uh, with the almonds. You know, and they, they'll overwinter somewhere because it's warmer and they don't have to worry about it so much. But even with all of those kind of precautions, approximately, it used to be about a 10 to 15 percent die-off um, yearly overall and right now it's grown to about 40% and that Ouch. has to do with yeah it's very high um, beekeepers I don't know how long they will be able to go out and say okay I'm just going to go out and buy packages of bees and we'll keep it going and that's sort of what they're doing um, so they get a little package it's got a queen in it and then under the right conditions that will all grow and be healthy. But just all kinds of different things are happening. The baroa mite is the big one. There's a number of um, viruses, the sema that attacks their lungs. Um, There's uh, pesticides. There's um, the lack of... A variety of nutrition bees, just like us, need to eat different kinds of foods. They can't just eat monoculture. They have to have a variety, and we keep killing off our variety by planting soybeans or planting wheat or planting corn um, or rapeseed or you know I mean Canada's covered in canola you know I mean you know you you, those they're they're good bee foods except bees can't eat just that they need to have a variety so there's a whole bunch of different issues and then we have um, and one of the reasons that uh, the master beekeeping program and the bee symposium and things like that are so important is we want people to not be Um, let us say a lazy beekeeper or a natural beekeeper without knowing exactly what they're doing. There are some people who are natural beekeepers who really understand how to get in their hive, do minimal interruption or interference rather, and take care of them and make sure they're healthy colonies. And there's others who say, well, it's natural. If they don't live, they don't live. And if they do live, you know, great. But what happens in the meantime is they carry the diseases, they go out and fly, they get those diseases are getting transferred to other bees that they meet and they just pass along a lot of bad (laughs) health so there's a number of major issues but um What's going on right now at every university, including this one, is research to try to stem that tide. And there's a lot of fabulous research happening. The question is, it's not too, you know, it, it isn't too late. I mean, people, every time I see one of those things that says we're going to lose the diversity of our food system. Well, and it's true that 30% of our food is pollinated by various kinds of bees, not just honeybees, but all different kinds of bees. That is true. But... If you think about what the what Northern uh, North America looked like before Europeans brought the honeybee, and they brought the honeybee in, you know, in the 1600s, there were no honeybees before then, but there was plenty of food, and there were blueberries and cranberries, and there were um, all kinds of melons because those are not traditionally pollinated by honeybees. They are now we've try- kind of trained them to do it but there is a special blueberry bee, and there's a squash bee. And you know my guess is is we would see that growth again. Our wild bees are in trouble too, but I think that we would, it's my guess that we would start to see the growth of our more native bee population. So I'm sure you've read enough to know that everybody's concerned about native bees. They just don't know or understand the extent of the pollination that those native bees can do and will do given the opportunity. So, you know, it's really a a little bit scary all the way around. On the other hand, everybody in the world is looking at it. Um, And that's that's the good news, is that everybody is looking at it. Um, Exactly how we go about it, about changing it, turning it around, that's the big question.
0: Uh, Vicky, Vicky, and AJ, uh, you can learn more in depth about the science of mead, sensory analysis from mead makers and UC Davis viticulture and enology professors. The mead industry is on the rise as we all, you know, we've, gosh, we've been talking to them for the last oh, uh, 20 shows. Uh, and it's currently the fastest growing segment on the market using two to three meaderies. Uh, they're going to discuss uh, and focus on case studies in each of the topic areas this course uh, and I'm talking about a course of a UC Davis this course is designed for the intermediate to professional level so all of you folks out there with uh, you know the uh, professional med- uh, meteries, uh this is for you uh, you know you want to take part uh, in this class uh, this is uh, taking your art to the next level and learning more in depth into the science of mead, and uh, this is on Monday, February eighth, at uh, let's see, well, it doesn't give a time, but uh, Thursday, <laughs> all day, Monday
4: and Tuesday, yeah,
0: <laughs> Monday, and, uh, you know, yeah, Monday and Tuesday, and uh, this is a series of courses designed to help mead makers start or expand their business, and this is right up the alley of a lot of folks that we have talked to uh, in the last. Gosh, Vicky, twenty shows or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, this is a great opportunity to ramp up your metery, uh with uh, teaching and advice from some of the best minds in business. Again, that's uh, February eighth, uh, and uh, it says Thursday, February eleventh.
4: Thursday, what we're doing is on um, on. Um, um Wednesday is a business day, and on Thursday we're doing a tour of uh, Rabbit's Foot Meadery, Mike Falls Meadery. Oh, awesome. so we'll be leaving here. Awesome. We'll be leaving here about nine yeah, thirty in the morning, arriving at Mike's at about eleven thirty. Everybody will have a box lunch, and probably a lot to drink on the way back, which is why, yeah. there's, going be a, why there's going to be a bus driver.
3: Uh,
0: so. UC Davis. More. UC Davis. Edu for more information, just click on the events link and uh get uh, get more information and and get your tickets but it absolutely sounds uh like something that uh that really needs to happen um, gosh
6: <laughs> we've got
0: so many so many more questions and amina i would love to have you on for a part 2 and a part 3 and a part 4 <laughs>
3: Uh, You're not going to get away that easily, is what you're
1: saying. I'm I'm not that knowledgeable. (laughs) Well, Uh, no, actually you you are. I would love to bring you, and I want to do a beekeeping segment where we really dig into the honey and bees and all of that. And you do know a lot about that. So I know some. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, nobody is the overall world expert. So, but you're very easy to talk to about this, and and it's and I've and learned, the way-
0: more. I've learned yeah. more tonight just sitting here listening, uh, you know, to her speak uh, about mm-hmm. what she does know. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I do. I have a concern about uh, honey. Uh, you know, the availability, uh, the condition of the bees. Uh, the health of the bees, and and uh, I, I find it's very interesting. So, but oh. uh, gosh, thank you for being here tonight, uh, Amina. Yeah,
2: I really, sure. I really appreciate. It. Thank you so much. This is a lot of fun, and I hope we can do it again.
0: Awesome.
3: <laughs> awesome <laughs> <Yeah>. is right. <laughs>
0: yeah. that, Thanks, uh, Amina. Uh, okay, We've take got- care. Yeah, we've you got too. a lot more coming up uh, tonight on Got Mead Live. So Sid Tide, Sergio Mutella, he's going to be with us here just shortly. So stay tuned. <laughs> we'll be back. <laughs> yeah, he's,
1: he's pro-
0: if you're a mead maker, you need gotmead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The forum consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GotMeat.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. Gotmead.com Sign up today you're a Mead Maker, a book you need to have on the shelf, is Mad About Mead by Pamela Spence. Look for it. Grab it. If you can, it's been out of print for a while. But if you can find it, add it to your library. And while you're at it, check out PamSpence.com. Pam is an active storyteller, author, community minister, and is the editor for local newspapers in Columbus, Ohio. You can find her most recent book, Glad Rags, Red Panties, Cowgirl Boots, and A Sweet Dress to Die For, at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Please visit PamSpence.com for more. Hey, this is J.D. Wade from Got Mead Live. You know, it's all about the mead here at Got Mead. And I have to tell you, I am in love with Fling from Moonlight Meadery. The way they balance the tartness from the rhubarb against the semi-sweet strawberry and orange blossom honey is just amazing. Do yourself a favor. Go buy some Moonlight Meadery meads now. Visit them at their online store at MoonlightMeadery.com forward slash store or ask for it where you shop. Demand it where you shop. Ask for Moonlight Meadery meads. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead making awards, Melovino opens his doors becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing variety, Melovino is the fastest growing meadery in the country. Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meats are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to Melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road near the rear of the Millburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com And we are back live here on God Mead Live. Gosh, I, you know, Vicky and AJ, I I could have talked to Amina all night long. I know. this could have easily told you been the Amina Harris show. Uh, yeah, you know, we didn't even touch on hardly any of the questions that that uh, you know we put in the show notes and yet she said so much tonight you know? I, know I have to go back and listen to the show again for sure uh,
1: pretty much everybody agrees that I mean everybody that's met her and a lot of us have had the opportunity to work with her and, and, and you know, and have a conversation with her going to and from these classes that they're having and that and um, pretty much everybody am- agrees that she's really amazing She's she's a great lady and she's got so much enthusiasm for what she's doing and she's really making a difference so you know it's huge
2: yeah Well, I hope her courses are still around by the time they're going to be relevant to me. And hopefully by then I'll even have a passport. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You got to get that passport before any of this stuff. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: (laughs) I got to pay off the mortgage first.
1: (laughs) Yeah. As it turns out, we're going to have to all get them around here because they're slowly making it. So you got to have a passport to get on a plane even inside the States. Really? Oh, Yeah. 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 Wow, yeah, it's already in place. It's just rolling out state by state, so it just depends on where you're going, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. If you buy an airline ticket anywhere in the United States, make sure that you check, you know, and see what they require as far as documentation. That's gonna that's gonna
1: screw up a hell of a lot of people who never bother to get passports. You know, I mean, eh. um,
2: and be we careful have- about traveling with like single bag too or no bags. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Exactly. We have uh, – well, first of all, we um, – one of the things that I, I started here before we went on break was kind of a community project. And, of course, uh, it, the last one I did was the, pump, the Great Pumpkin Project, <laughs> uh, which is currently in a state of aging. Um, you know, uh, we had some difficulties with it still having the very, very, very tart – taste to it and of course uh we all know what that came from uh but it is still uh-huh. it's it, it's it's still working it's See, you know sergio uh, he's
1: going to use you and you know pick your brains down. watch here
0: we go that's what right. that's
1: what's happening just be ready you know that's what Jimmy so, gets out of this
0: yeah bet. that's why <laughs>
1: this, I this is how i this is how i pay him you know <laughs>
6: With all that acid you put in that pumpkin, you could probably put a couple drops on a sugar cube and yeah. have a good trip. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then you'd end up over in, uh, in in uh, Chris's hospital, you know. Yeah. In trauma <laughs> I, surgery after you tried to fly.
0: <laughs> I've been talking about this wildflower honey that I have, and that's the next project. And I opened up the project in the form here uh, a couple weeks ago. And I simply posed the question, you know, here, here's this wildflower honey. I, 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 I described the honey as best I could to get my point across. I just simply asked, what yeast would you use? And 14 people responded to that, and it runs the full gamut from K1V to 71B to US05. told uh, you. Got to tell them
1: what you want to do. 47. Of course they did.
0: Well, I didn't want to get you know. I mean, whatever the outcome, I, you you know if it. And of course, this is this may be where Sergio comes in. Uh, how
1: well, let's sp- hope so. We got the guy on the phone. We should let him do something. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, how,
0: how, specific, how specific? do you do you get when it comes to making yeast selection? And five uh, there are there there are and this is basically a score sheet. K1V. Uh, had five responses, D47 had six, 71B had three, uh, DV10 was another one with two, uh, QA23 was one, Q, uh, D21, uh, uh, two, and uh, Coast de Blank had one, uh, USO 51 and Y yeast thirteen eighty eight one. So it runs the full gamut pretty much. Oh yeah.
7: yeah. I, I think it really all depends on what kind of recipe you're looking for. If you're looking just to highlight the honey or do a mellow or a methyl green, I mean it really all depends. But uh, can you can you like review again? Uh, what uh, what kind of characteristics that wildflower honey had?
0: Well, it's uh, it's late spring flowers that I got locally here. It is right out of the extractor into a bucket. I mean, it's bee parts and everything. No heat, no nothing has ever been put to it. It smells, it it just smells like a flower garden and it tastes like a flower garden. I mean, it's just the most amazing. uh, So you would say
7: it's a nice light colored honey? uh,
0: It's a, it's an amber colored honey. It's not real dark. Uh, but it's not as light as orange blossom either. It's kind of in between. Uh, now, I've seen some clovers and wildflowers that have been pretty dark. This is in between, say, an yeah. orange blossom and, and that. So um, it's, it's a very light uh, flavor. Uh, it's not real strong, but the floral aroma is, I mean, you can't get away from it, it's there. Uh, it tastes just like it, like it smells. Um, yeah. It is very
7: sweet. Well, yeah, with with yeast selection, I mean, <clears throat> you could kind of almost use any yeast, but uh you know, at at Melovino, we, we use a few different yeast. Seventy-one B is definitely the one that we use the most, but uh depending on you know different recipes, I'll go and actually use a different yeast that might give me some more flavor or aroma contribution that I, I think would enhance that recipe. So, for example, D47 uh, is a big favorite of mine for sizers because even in a traditional mead, uh, even more so with, like, your lighter honeys, uh, it's going to produce, it's going to offer you a little bit of, a, of an apple characteristic. I remember a month ago, uh, there was somebody on one of the mead Facebook groups that uh, made a traditional mead and said that it was weird because it's not an apple blossom honey at all, but he was getting apple characters, and I asked him if he used D47, and sure enough, that's that's what that's what it was. Wow. So something like that is really great for sizers. Uh, it could go great just with a regular traditional meat if you want some kind of a characteristic like that, uh, depending on the honey. Uh, then you have... Uh, another interesting yeast that uh, I've I've used for like two different recipes that we make at the meadery is CY thirty seventy nine. That's uh, it's like a Chardonnay yeast, uh, which if you look at all the the yeast uh, descriptions, the characteristics that it provides, it um, mainly used for Chardonnays, and uh, it it offers actually honey and buttery notes, as well as um, I think it was pineapple also that it might also offer. I think that's what it was. So that's like an interesting yeast to use for, you know, uh, a light uh, traditional mead made with like a a lighter honey. So that might be something that would be pretty interesting with that kind of a honey as you're describing it. It's uh, really nice and floral. It's uh, it's a lighter honey. You know, a lot of wildflower honeys uh, that, that I've seen and purchased from different sources usually are like a little bit darker and have like almost a little bit of a caramel uh, kind of characteristic. And uh, for those types of honeys, especially the darker wildflower honey, since wildflower honey isn't a varietal, it's always going to be different. I, I use wildflower honey mainly for mellow melts. So it's, uh, they're usually more stronger flavored, a little bit darker, and it's got enough of a punch to hold up honey character when in competition with different uh, you know, flavors that you're working with, such as fruits. So the honey could still come out and you could still make like a really nice fruit bomb, even if you wanted to with the honey still being present. Uh, so something like that is good to consider Q 20, uh, QA 20, uh, 23 is actually a use that, um, I've used in an experimental, five gallon batch experimental, and we're about to use on, on, uh, a big, uh, a new recipe. It's actually going to be an experimental, but it's going to be 280 gallons, uh, experimental uh, at the meter where we're basically going to make an off-dry pine it. It's going to be an orange blossom honey with uh, a Sauvignon Blanc grape juice. And we're going to ferment it with QA 23, which is, uh, actually derives from Portugal. And it's, um, the main yeast that use, uh, that's used in producing, uh, Vino Verdes from Portugal, which are really nice, light, acidic, crisp, young wines.
0: Uh, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Chenin Blancs—at uh, least that's what I got from the uh, uh, yeast description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, QA23
7: is also—it's a really great mead to do. Uh, I actually use it in a experimental with a um, a dry strawberry need, uh, which it really does help bring out some really nice fruit character uh, when you're using it your in fruit wines and melomels too. So it really all depends on what you're planning to use the honey for and what you really want to get out of the recipe. Um, you know, most commercial meteries do stick to 71 B and there's advantages to 71 B and matures young. Uh, so there's quicker turnaround time on the commercial side, but it is really a, it is an excellent, excellent yeast. Um, it softens acidity and it undergoes its own malolactic, um, uh, smoothness of the acidity and, uh, it, overall man it's 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 a great great yeast and low nutrient requirements whatever that means in the mead world i don't know but in the wine world there's low well, nutrient requirements
0: okay now speak on because uh i'm gonna try the the toes and uh you know i've been following uh, a lot of people on the on the uh, 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 one of the mead groups I, I don't recall whether it was the god mead, mead group or one of the other couple uh, ones that we we frequent here at got but um uh, you know a lot of people have had great success home mead makers having great success success with your toes formula form you know formula i guess you call it a formula um how, how i mean let's let's talk about qa23 it is a low yeast a uh, low nutrient Yeast, low oxygen requirements. Uh, It's even low temperature. I mean, ten degrees uh, centigrade. Uh, Does Tozna fit in with this? uh, Okay.
7: Well, see, here's one thing to keep in consideration when you look at characteristics of yeasts. On, uh, for example, example Lalaman's website, right? Is uh, all those descriptions are mainly for uh, pertaining to uh, grape wine or fruit wine. You know, when talking about mead, even though the yeast has low nitrogen requirements, with mead you are still you still really need to supplement a lot more nutrient than you would if you were just making grape wine or fruit wines, uh, mainly because of the lack of nitrogen. So even though the yeast does say low, uh, low nutrient requirement, you're still going to have to add your nutrients when you're making meat. Uh, so mm-hmm. something, uh, you know, something came up with, uh, or a few instances came up when I first started making meat at home and I was following the stag of nutrient additions, the SNAs and I would get stuck fermentations on specific batches. And I was really trying to figure out why that was. It's like why I'm doing everything by the book. Why is it not working on every batch? And then I started looking into it, uh, started speaking with Scott Labs and other people. And, you know, I I ended up coming up with um, or kind of like putting together my own kind of tailored uh, standard nutrient addition for each individual recipe. Uh, That's where the the tea comes in. It's all tailored to each uh, individual recipe. So then I also decided, well, what are the uh, negative effects that I heard that, uh, DAP will also contribute to a need. Uh, so, uh, I heard, I heard about that, uh, something about that uh, providing some definite, definite all flavors or uh, a definite difference in flavors, at least, uh, compared to meads that are made without using DAP after the first, the meat course, um, uh, was, uh, was held at the Ravan Davi Institute and everybody was talking about it on the Facebook groups and, uh, how they were actually given a taste of the same need that was made with using that and without that. And that there was a clear difference between the two. I think Michael Fairbrother even posted like, that's it. i am moving away from that, you know? Wow. And, um, so I started looking into that myself. That's how I stumbled across Fermate O and started looking into that organic side of nutrient additions. And the fact that Fermate O provides an organic form of uh, uh, nitrogen rather than uh, the inorganic form of nitrogen that you get from DAP or from K, which also has DAP in it it's uh, there's there's a pretty there's a pretty significant difference as to what you get out of each and how the yeast reacts to each so um, I stuck with O mainly because after finding out that um, the organic form of nitrogen is actually still, uh, the yeast is still able to metabolize that nitrogen through the later parts of fermentation. It also, uh, you know, inorganic form of nitrogen only goes so far. The yeast cannot metabolize it after about halfway through uh, fermentation, around your one-third sugar break. Um, So what ends up happening, it's like the equivalent of like, you know, Giving a kid at uh, you know at a soccer game some orange slices uh, you know at the beginning of the game to get some natural sugar in them to give him some energy or giving him a snickers bar give him a snickers bar he's gonna crash by halftime right but you give him some oranges you know he's gonna have more prolonged effects of energy and it's kind of the same way with the organic nitrogen that you get from Fermato, ao
5: where the yeast
7: is able to metabolize it all throughout fermentation so what ends up happening is the yeast is way less stressed Especially when you give them the exact amount of nitrogen that they need, uh, and you know, and that's calculated by you know doing some YAN calculations or at least estimates uh, if you don't have the equipment to to take YAN measurements, and uh, and then basically it also allows it, it keeps the fermentation temperatures lower than if they were if you were uh, offering them uh, the inorganic form of nitrogen and formate K or and uh, there's less of a spike in, in the fermentation as well. It's like a slower, steady fermentation. And, um, there, there, and and also pH buffering was the biggest, biggest improvement that I saw. Uh, one of my first uh, commercial meat batches almost got stuck in fermentation. If I didn't switch my glycol unit over to heating to heat it up to, to, to kind of save it, uh, that batch definitely would have gotten stuck at around nine or ten percent alcohol, and I was shooting for you know twelve or thirteen uh, because the pH dropped quite a bit. And once I, as soon as I switched over to using Fermaid O with this Tosler regimen, I noticed that every single need thereafter, uh, pH just always, always um, stayed buffered around your 3.4, 3.5. Uh, so I never had an issue with that anymore. So I mean, there's so, so many advantages to it. That I saw, you know, I, I just thought to myself, why go back? You know, why not just develop and and fine tune this like tailored organic statin nutrient addition and just stick with it? And ever since then, it's, it's worked wonders. So I've shared it with different home brewers and uh, even on different podcasts, both, uh, you know, uh, beer related and meat related. And a lot of people have been picking up on it and using it and calling and emailing me mean, almost every week you know, and telling me how great of uh success they found with it. And one I know one guy actually emailed me and said, you know, I finally I finally gathered up the courage and enough confidence in my needs that I'm considering opening a meadery now. Uh just because he started using Cosma and I thought that was awesome. Wow. Um, Sergio, uh, yeah, this is something that I brought up before.
0: Yeah. We're talking There's to Sergio Butella from Melovino Meadery tonight. Uh And, you know, if you've got a question for Sergio, give us a holler. You can do that at 818-921-4680. Mississippi Chris has been on the line with us here for a while. We're trying to keep him awake. Chris, you had (laughs) had a question or a comment or something? Go ahead.
6: No, I was just saying that that, that's something that I brought up before uh, talking with JD uh, is getting away from the gap. Uh, And I really saw an improvement because I happen to be one of those people who can taste it. And uh, I didn't get away from it so much for the uh, health of the yeast as I did. Just I can taste that uh, even in small amounts. And uh, so I had gotten away from it uh, using strictly Fermade K. Even though the Fermade K does have some DAP in it, it wasn't enough that I could taste it. And uh, I've really been considering going strictly to the Fermate O, because uh, uh, you know it, it may slow the fermentation down a little bit. But I, I like the yeah. other much better.
7: You know, it doesn't it doesn't slow down if uh, I found if you do uh, if you properly rehydrate and energize your yeast uh, prior to pitching it, and and the most important thing uh, to, to to consider and always remember is no matter, you know, so all the work and time that you put into making a perfect yeast pitch, don't throw it in until it's around the same temperature as your must, because all that time and effort you put into properly rehydrating and energizing your yeast, I mean, you throw it into your mead that, you know, uh, 14, 15 degrees too cold or too hot compared to the temperature of the yeast pitch. You're just, you're killing off the yeast. Um, so that's an important step too. But as far as speed, uh, when I say it's a more steady, it, it's not necessarily slower uh, fermentation. Um, I'll tell you this. Commercially, I'm fermenting 14% alcohol in 9 to 10 days. And that's using the plasma, right? and that uh, And that's fermenting at 60 to 62 degrees, like every tank temperature control. So it's not slow at all, but it is a steady fermentation. It, there's no spike in the fermentation. It goes full force, almost right to the end. You know, where, where if you use the DAP or Fermate K, for example, you'll get a big spike. It'll ramp up real fast in the beginning and then start petering out and slowing down as it finishes. Yeah, you know, there's that, yeah, that a lot of, a lot of risk of uh, getting like more sulfur compound uh, compounding, um, in the aroma, you know, a little bit of rotten egg aroma in the mead that you definitely don't want. It, it stresses out the yeast. It also uh, increases the chance of uh, or more, produces more temperature increase during the fermentation process as well uh, by by having like a huge spike in fermentation mm-hmm. as well. So fermento is going give you a really nice steady fermentation.
0: We've got uh, Brandon Gretsch from Malta. He's been joining us. He's listening in and uh, i've got him on skype here he has a question he wants to know how much of a difference in ppm yan could we expect between for example a medium nitrogen requirement lalaman yeast and a low nitrogen requirement lalaman yeast
7: To be honest, I really don't. Uh, There there really is, I haven't found any kind of information as to exactly how much you really do need in those types of quote-unquote low and mid-ranges as far as a nitrogen requirement. Uh, For mead making, I automatically assume we're we're close to zero. I've taken some uh, YAN readings of of, uh, like your standard, you know, 1115 starting gravity musts. And we're only talking about maybe like 30 something parts per million. Uh, and I think that was like probably the most that I ever took a reading of at the meadery and using different honeys as well, because different honeys, especially the darker the honey, the more, the more nutrients and the more nitrogen is it, it is going to contain. So depending on the honey you use, it varies, but even when you're talking around 30 to 40 parts per million naturally uh, from the honey in your must, you're still talking about most these, you're, you're going to need to get up to like three fifty. You know, 350 parts per million. You're nowhere near the requirement that most yeasts will need. And the higher in starting gravity you go, the more parts per million, the more nitrogen that yeast is going to require as well. So, um, that's, that's where the whole tailored part of the, uh, the Tazna regimen that I put together, uh, comes into play. So it's, it, it makes a big difference. And as far as that whole low and mid, um, you know nitrogen requirements i mean there's no actual numbers that go along with that at least that i found um and again that's all based for fruit wines and grape wines right so in the mead world again you're starting off with close to nothing so you're still gonna have to add those uh you know those nutrients uh, to, to get that nitrogen up
0: Hey, Jay and uh, Vicky, uh, have you guys uh, worked with that Fermado and this uh, TOSNA? No,
1: I haven't played with it, but then I haven't been. I've been so busy with work and got meat and everything. I haven't had time to make any meats. Um, I do have, though, uh, Sergio, an input from um, Hamish in Australia. And he said, uh, love your work. Next you're, question. Yeah. You're always really quick <laughs> <Just> to reply <laughs> and you're really helpful. <laughs> He just wanted to say thanks for being awesome, so please don't get all, like, you know, full of yourself and everything about this jersey. But uh, he also says how's, <laughs> that, he says, how's that online TASNA calculator coming along?
7: <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, the, uh, the Mean Maker uh, podcast guys, uh, Alan over there, actually. Uh, oh,
1: those um, are the good That's the one they did?
7: Yeah, not Alan. Uh, T- Tyson. Uh, Tyson, he, yeah. Um, yeah. He actually built uh, something on their, their batch builder site. and I had somebody else also email me with uh, some kind of like an online calculator for it that they kind of built up to, to try to put onto the need made right, uh, com site uh, that talks about tazna and gives all the data on it. But I haven't had time and I like, I looked over it for like two seconds. And I'm like uh, then I got a phone call and I got customers walking in and then all of a sudden we got a filter and. Um, but um, yeah, I haven't had time to really focus on it. But I am planning on putting up a calculator, whether it's a link to uh, to somewhere or an actual calculator on the uh, physical site itself. Um, I wish I had the capabilities to do it. I, I have my own in an Excel spreadsheet that I use at the metering, uh, where you, you you just plug in the batch size and the starting gravity in the, in bricks, the starting bricks, and it automatically calculates everything you need the amount of uh, grams of yeast, the amount of, uh go firm you need for rehydration, the amount of water to rehydrate the yeast and go from in, uh, down to how much for and how many doses and all that. Um, so I will be linking something sooner or later on that.
1: Okay, cool. That'll be fun. I'll, yeah. And, uh, I'll, I've got to do some links over to, um, the NeedMaker maker guys because those calculators they have got are amazing they're really good yeah you yeah, did a pretty good job with that they really did yeah interesting yeah and when i talk- when i was on their podcast
7: i think uh you know it was about a 40 minute actual podcast length but i think i was on the phone with them for about five hours
3: Yeah,
7: uh, <laughs> 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 you know, we just kept talking and drinking and drinking and talking and uh it's pretty fun
6: like some Sergio. of our post show discussions yeah yeah
0: <laughs> Sergio Matella from Melo out there in New Jersey uh, and I gotta tell you I want some more of that uh, cucumber <laughs> that, that stuff was good <laughs> yeah we'll,
7: we'll have some more this summer <laughs> that's like our, gonna be our summer seasonal.
0: oh man that stuff that stuff good uh, even over ice on a hot day good you know oh, nice yeah. and refreshing
7: yeah, yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be experimenting with a few other a few other needs, uh, especially for you know some some more seasonal, some lower alcohol stuff for the summer, some higher alcohol stuff. We're actually gonna be making uh, 2016. We're gonna release our first 24 uh, percent alcohol need. Actually, oh my, um,
6: oh my gosh.
7: Yeah, when I found I, I was I was always wondering how high can we legally go up to an alcohol as a federally licensed winery, and then I I looked it up and I saw we could go up to twenty four. So I said, yeah, we're going to go up to twenty four.
0: Oh wow, <laughs> <laughs> pushing the limit! Hey, we got Alan Jones on the line here. Hey, Alan, uh, welcome. Hey, I heard oh. you guys mention me.
1: Yeah.
3: Just, hey. Just
8: Hey. um I, I wanted to talk about the calculators that sergio brought up so GotMead actually has their own Tosna calculator that's better than the one on my site
1: really uh, then i need you to help me make it prettier honestly oh. I've, been meaning, I've been meaning to get up with you and see if you and i can collaborate to make the uh the main mead calculator better because that sucker is so old and it needs help
8: <laughs> yeah
2: and it needs I mean, a facelift Yeah, well,
1: I think if we give it a facelift and there's some back end updating with adding more, uh, you know, nutrients and additions and things that we could do. But then I figure we just do it and put it on both sites so that everybody's got access to it, you
8: know. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Yeah, we'll talk about that later. But I did want to say Yeah, I'll I'll
1: call you. Yeah. In (laughs)
8: addition, there is also um, because I when I had done, I put up like a rudimentary batch builder that was just basically honey alcohol content and desired sugar content um and or it would start with uh, batch size desired sugar content and alcohol tolerance of your yeast and it would just tell you what you needed to do and it has sergio's tosna in it but got has their own under your tools um section that is better just for tosna by itself then if you want to really blend. i didn't even know that sir. yeah so this popped up I don't remember when, sometime around the time mine went up under the, under making mead on the tab, there's the tools and resources. And then there's an organic stagger nutrient calculator there on got mead. Oh, cool. Um, there also, when I had posted my original stuff, a bunch of the guys in the Reddit community wanted to be able to tailor with firm Aid K firm Aid O and DAP, Basically saying, well, maybe I don't want only firmado. Maybe I want to use a combination of all. So there is avail- a version of that that's a nutrient calculator on maker as well that might be useful. Cool. Just wanted to get that out there. Appreciate it. No problem. Enjoyed listening to Amina earlier today, too. Yeah, wasn't she amazing? She is. Yeah.
7: When she was talking about that, um, the, the, that contact that she knows that does the, uh, the honey testing... I don't uh, right? If I was taking notes, I, I really thought his name was Oh Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> i said maybe from you know pakistani or middle eastern i don't know <laughs>
3: oh
2: boy <laughs> yeah i almost typed that in my notes <laughs> well.
7: no she's uh yeah she's she is incredible and, and uh yeah and the whole beekeeping thing too that's a whole other topic i oh yeah I we gotta the, have her uh, back on to talk about that well uh, you know yeah, i took the beekeeping course out in rutgers uh last year and last spring <laughs> and uh I mean, it's, see, the thing with beekeeping, too, is it's going to vary by region. So one of the first things that they mentioned in the very first class of that course is, listen, we're going to teach you guys how to keep bees in New Jersey. Right? If you go online and read these books and you listen to everybody you want to take advice from, what's going to happen is, listen, there's ways to keep bees in, in hotter climates down in the south, down up in the north, um, so there's really no catch-all there's no cookie cutter method of keeping bees you gotta kind of learn from where you're from and the best methods of keeping bees there's actually uh, there's a guy a beekeeper down from the south he, he calls himself the fat bee man and he has he actually has some like youtube videos and everything and one of his cool. um one of his like coolest things i like is you know the people in the north do a lot of things a little different right and it's so true it's the way you keep bees in in the north compared to the south compared to the west or midwest i mean it's it's always going to vary and uh to you got to know what you're doing and really take care of those bees because nothing's sadder than like starting up some hives and then just seeing them all disappear or die over the winter or just because you mishandle it or do something wrong
0: oh yeah let me ask uh let me ask Sergio AJ has told us before you know about Uh, You know, if you're going to start a meadery in in Canada, uh, it's going to be necessary for you to keep, what was it, AJ, 100 hives? Minimum. Yeah. Sergio, as a professional mead maker, commercial mead maker, how do you feel about, uh, you know, a mandate or or even legislation or whatever uh, requiring you to keep, I don't know, 100 hives? Uh, Is that something that... uh, we Listen.
1: Do
7: breweries grow their own? Do breweries grow their own malt and hops?
2: Some of them grow their own hops, but do, no, yeah. mostly they don't. Some them, yeah, some of them. Might, no, but, but yeah, uh, uh, wineries are supposed to grow their own fruit here, anyway. Yeah, I mean, in New Jersey, that was the biggest, that was the biggest hurdle that I faced here in Jersey
7: is the fact that, you know, in order to be a licensed winery, you have to have a minimum of three acres of land adjacent to your production facility. So the area of land that your production facility is on and any potential parking space that you have doesn't mean it doesn't count towards those minimum of three acres either. So, and it has to be, the three acres have to be used for cultivating, the, you know, some of the fruits, at least some of the fruits that you use in the, the wines that you're making. The other stipulation that I had faced in Jersey was uh, the fact that the, the wine your license only allowed you to produce wines made from grapes or other fruits. So, meat obviously didn't fall into that picture, and that's what I had to overcome here. But, uh, you know, it is, uh, listen... <laughs> Just like, uh, you know, Steve Jobs used to say, it's like, you know, once he understood that people, you know, all the people that made these laws or these, all these laws that we abide by rather are, were made by people like you and I, listen, anything is changeable. You can change anything. You can bend the rules. Uh, and, and, you know, we're doing a lot of stuff with the American Weedmaker Association that, you know, we're talking about, you know, hopping on the cider Act to take advantage of what the cider uh, Association mm. is doing then. Being able to
8: increase didn't the carbonation this, level. The cider act just got passed as part of the omnibus bill? didn't it? Yep,
7: yeah. yeah. yep, yep. So now, yeah, now the American Meat Maker Association, we're trying to actually, you know, kind of ride the coattails of that and what the beer industry has done and uh, allowed breweries to do now. And also, you know, using some precedent from the wine industry as well to try to get some uh, more... More changes for you know to make make it easier to be more truthful and honest and more uh, you know open on our labels you know but let's at least now we could kind of at least call most of the stuff that the meat industry makes mead on the label you know they they do allow you to, to label something now as like cherry mead for example before you wouldn't have you wouldn't even be able to have the word mead anywhere on the label. Um, one of my first label of uh, applications I sent in got rejected uh, because I was calling something a mead, but it had fruit in it. And the federal government said that that's not mead because it has something other than honey, water, and hops. So I had to send in okay. a new one and uh, after telling me that I had to remove any mentioning of the word mead. And they, re- they rejected it again because I had on a line, you know, visit www.melovino.com for more of our mead. So even by having something like that the federal government to said, it. Well now you're yeah, you're you're acknowledging or you're 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 stating that uh, this is a need where in fact No it's no not, you're, inferring. For our you're inferring.
2: You're yeah. inferring it. You're not even stating it. Boy, are they yeah, picky. So, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah,
7: they really are. That's a whole other conversation. But yeah, the, you know, whenever there's something like that, listen, stuff like that, you could always change that. It might take some time and a lot of effort, but uh, you know, everything's doable. Now in New Jersey, there's a bill. There's a bill that I've been fighting to keep going through, and uh, that's going to create an official, like a separate license for a metery and cidery license in New Jersey, uh, which mm. is going to be awesome and uh more meters will be able to open up and cideries as well cideries fall under the same stipulation as um you know not every cidery has their own orchards you know so these cideries in New Jersey wanted to be able to open up uh you know make cider in New Jersey but not necessarily needing three acres of land to grow their own apples you know and uh so at least they know something like that as easy as that just putting in the word and showing that there is demand and um you know, the meat industry is the fastest growing sector in the alcohol industry. There, there is precedent there and proof that there's, there's, this there's, there's does call for a change some way, somehow. And, uh, at least it's yeah. happening in New Jersey, which I'm happy to say.
1: Um, Sergio, you had told me earlier today that you had a shout out you needed to do for AMMA.
7: Oh yes. Yeah. So
1: I didn't want you to forget.
3: Everybody-
7: <laughs> I already did. But, uh, the, uh Yeah, no. So we actually had a, we had a monthly board meeting uh you know, with the American Meat Association today and um uh, you know, we we're talking about some changes and some updates and some work that we needed done on our on our new website. So it's uh dot org. Uh, it's mead hyphen makers dot org. So yeah, basically, I've always noticed that there are plenty of geeks out there in the mead world, uh, in both homebrew and uh, commercial scene. So, I wanted to throw something out there and say, if you have WordPress experience and are willing to kind of put in some time and efforts into kind of helping the association out and helping us continue to build uh, membership and uh, and the website and. Basically, give us you know help us put all the tools together that we really do need to keep moving the association forward and get it really nice and organized. We 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 reorganized the whole association not too long ago, just a uh, few months ago, and um, where everything is really falling into place and getting on track. And now we just need a few final more touches done on our website to kind of make everything really work seamlessly. But uh, none of us, all the board members, are. <laughs> most of us are all commercial meat makers. So none of us really have the time or enough know-how to really get that done. You know, what we really need done, um, done the right way. So there's anybody out there that does have that WordPress experience that's willing to work for mead, wow. uh, <laughs> I have, I have gathered the troops and I spoke to all the, the board members and, uh, you know, we have superstition, superstition meadery in Prescott, Arizona, uh, Colleen boss from Boston meadery in Wisconsin, uh, Fairbrother. brother, uh, Michael Fairbrother from Uline Meter. He says he is willing to donate six bottles of Utopian to oh. the person that actually help uh, helps us build and do everything that we need
0: to finish the website once <laughs> and for all. I, I'm there. I know WordPress. So, you don't know what to
1: for so, what they need to do, JD. Trust me. <laughs> so sue me over. Shoot
7: me over an email at uh, Sergio at dot com. And let me know if you'd be interested and, uh, and able to say, do so. I mean, we're going to put together a really nice, like, I mean, a really nice case of world-class need as payment. Uh, you're talking hundreds of dollars worth of some really great need from all over the country. So from some of the biggest
0: names in the business, too. Give, but, give uh, that address again, Sergio.
7: Yeah. Sergio, uh, S-E-R-G-I-O at Melovino.com. Or you can always contact me through the, uh, the Melovino uh, website as well. And uh, it brings up, too, the, the American Mead Makers Association. Um, if you haven't joined yet, join the association because I know, listen, anybody, even in my homebrew days when I first started brewing beer and I, and I brought like one of my first good-tasting beers that was actually drinkable to a party, and, and I had my friends taste it, and they all said the same thing, you know what, you should do this commercially. Everybody from that point, whether it's for, with beer or mead, has God has experienced that at one point or another and said, you know what? Maybe I can't, you know, maybe I should, maybe I want to. And, uh, sooner or later, you're going to consider doing that and having, having put in for a membership, whether it's just like an individual member membership or a, a corporate membership, we're even talking about doing kind of like a half, a half price, like metery in uh, progress, um, mm. membership level as well. where you get access all the, the commercial meetmaker maker, uh, discussion groups and everything. Uh, as you're getting your meadery started with a wealth of information and answers from all of the top mead makers of the country, it's totally worth the money and you're going to be helping the association really lay down the tracks for everything that you're going to basically benefit from once you do get to that point. And even if you're not considering becoming a professional member, just as a home mead maker and that likes buying really great need in the, in the liquor stores or whatnot, Listen. This is another way to help the uh, help the industry and also to be able to access forums uh, with a wealth of information as well.
0: Yeah, Brandon. So, yeah, uh, Brandon. If Gretchen. you want to go ahead and send a bottle of that down, I'll do that in the <laughs> yes. Yeah, that Brandon I a payment beforehand. Brandon Gretchen Balt. Yeah. He wants to know if the membership includes tasting meads as well. So. <laughs>
7: Well, I'll tell you what, I am sure I, I will speak to every board member to put a vote on it. Uh, I guarantee you none of them would have any problem offering like free tours and tastings or something, some kind of, uh, special <laughs> oh, offer yeah. to the paid, uh, AMMA members. I'm, I'm that positive. Cool. I, I am positive that nobody would have an issue with that. So the industry really does need the help to really get the money that we need for some lobbying efforts and to change the laws. Uh, that, uh, that's kind of holding the meat industry back. It's like, if I come up with a new recipe right now, a uh, new recipe idea uh, right now over the phone with you guys, it's going to take me approximately three months before I could actually make or release that meat because it's actually going to take me to put in a formula approval, uh, which the breweries and wineries don't need to do, but meateries do. So we need to put a formula application together to get our formula approved, which, depending on how backed up they are, can take three to... Uh, seven weeks I think oh, wow. um, and then once you get your formal approval then you can submit a label application for approval which can take another two to you know six weeks uh, so it's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that we could get passed and change that would help the meat industry grow as well as lower the tax on uh, carbonated needs as well because once you once you carbonate a meat it jumps from 17 cents a gallon uh, in federal tax to $3 and seven and a uh, seven cents a gallon. What? So, yeah. yes yeah, that's, oh, yeah. that's called the bubble tax. Yeah. What bubble the tax? Hell? So, that's because it's carbonated over, uh, I think oh the most you can go up to is right underneath two volumes of CO2 before it's considered a sparkling wine and taxed as a sparkling wine. Wow. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that we need changed. And, uh, you know, you look at the guys like B neck that like, you know, they changed almost their whole entire production to focusing on like these low on, you know, these, uh, slightly carbonated session needs and they're really held back as to how much carbonation they can even put yeah. in there in order to keep their product priced you know, accordingly and affordable. Cause if they carved it anymore, I mean, instead of eight bucks a bottle, eight or nine bucks a bottle for their products, it'll jump up to 11 or 12 dollars a bottle, wow. you know, and yeah. There's a there's a whole slew of other things that we need changed and uh, we really just need the the funds really to, to to help us actually, you know, give give us a vehicle to actually get this stuff done.
0: Well, you know, Ladies, here's here's another guy that I mean I could, I could talk to him all night long. <laughs>
6: uh,
0: Sergio Mattela. You say that to everybody, meant to he, no, he
1: does, man. he does. He does <laughs> say that to everybody. Yeah, he, does. <laughs> he Really
0: does. Yeah. Yeah, but everybody that I've met have been so awesome. You know, <laughs> uh, that's because
1: they're totally awesome people. You didn't know this when you talked to me, no, the day ladies. Thing, you
0: know? JD, J.D. must have
7: some really boring friends. That's what it is.
0: I, I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, no, I, I just, you know, I've learned so much from from listening to you and Mike Fall, Mike Fairbrother, I and mean, all the guys that have been on the, on the show, Amina Harris tonight. Uh, you know, I, I mean, there's so much to learn about this, and it's helped me understand more what I'm doing here at home. I, I have wasted so much, honey. AJ can attest to this. I mean, I have produced more rocket fuel, to- and I've wasted more. <laughs> uh, I right. say, and welcome to the club. We've all done that. Yeah. So, yep. I mean, but but this- and JD sends me texts wanting to know if I'll send him some
6: barbecue.
0: <laughs> yeah. but uh, no I, I thank you for coming on here tonight uh, yeah chris, chris
1: you're not allowed to send him barbecue until he learns the difference between grill and barbecue grill. he keeps calling the thing you cook on a barbecue I guess yeah. why? that's what they're sold as i uh, know uh, a little grills. bit about
6: his friends when he's texting me begging for barbecues so.
1: <laughs> well see, see and and just tell him how expensive it would be to ship him a barbecue for what he's talking about Because that's the grill you know? yeah, that's right. one, of the, one
6: of these days he's going to go to the door And there's going to be a half a hog And dry <laughs> ice. I know that. is I'm going to send him a, a half hog And he's going to eat And probably die of a heart attack from it mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> uh, that's all right. You keep it up because when it's 15 degrees at your house, I'm going to send you a picture of me standing there in Bermuda shorts and a short sleeve shirt. Up.
1: <laughs> just before that, just before that big storm that's supposed to hit y'all, like, what, tomorrow?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, we. Well, 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 no, it's here. We got a ton of rain today already. But anyway. Oh, muffin.
1: We oh, got, poor uh, thing, yeah. Minus
2: 20. It froze my face today.
1: <laughs> I know. It's like 22 degrees Fahrenheit here. So, like,
0: you know, below zero C. We're uh we're gosh, we're running on again here tonight and Pete isn't even around. Uh, <laughs> I know,
1: right? Can't blame it on him. Well we could, but he's not here to defend himself, so that wouldn't be fair.
2: We can blame and, him. Uh, it's just not to n- indicate that it's his fault. But we can why, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Sergio uh thanks for coming on tonight. Sergio Motella Melovino Meteri. Sergio, tell us where you're at again. We're in Jersey. That's all you need to know. We're the only yeah. ones here. The only ones uh, in Jersey. Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> we got people listening in Jersey. They're kind of hard just to find, ask miss, around. You know? yeah, yeah, just a- ask around. New Jersey. Well, uh,
1: everybody knows everybody in Jersey, right? <laughs>
7: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just, ask, just ask them what exit we're off of. That's all.
0: Yeah. Uh, Alan, uh, Alan Jones joining us here uh, from the Meat Makers uh, podcast show over there. Of course, Mississippi Chris. Uh, he had been hanging out uh, here uh, the last part of the show, but uh, ladies, we do need to wrap this thing up. Coming up next week, uh, we've got Julia hers from the Brewers Association, Vicky,
1: who has also been one of uh, another one of those people that go way back in the meat industry. And she did a lot of stuff. She used to run Honeywine.com, and it's kind of in mothballs now. But for the longest time, that was the only site about commercial meat. You know, I mean, she she kind of wrote the book on that. So it's going to be fun having her on the show.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, some of the events. Well, one of the events that I uh, managed to get into the notes, of course, is the Major Cup. You well, got yeah. stuff ready. It's coming up uh, wow. in March uh, 18th through the 19th in Broomfield, Colorado. Vicky, you got more on that, right? Entries open up on Friday,
1: I think it is. And Mazercup.com is the website. You will get hotel reservations, uh, entry dates, and uh, you know the places to go and the, and the click through to put your entries in, and also uh, when it becomes available tickets for the public event if they have a public event this year. So, and another one that's coming up in Savannah, Georgia, in February. 6th is the Dome Cup. I'm actually going to be down there judging for that. Mike Tripka, in fact, Mike, 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 Tripka Mike. yeah, down in Savannah. So he yeah. called me up and he's like, come on down and judge. We'll feed you. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> 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 Low country yeah, Mike, Mike and, and his roasted are oysters. Awesome, they really are, yeah. Mike, well, he was yeah, telling me awesome he's people. the one that got you going on mead, which I thought was really interesting.
5: I, uh,
7: to uh, Mike. I met him... Yeah, no. He actually he used to live up in Jersey, and he used to actually be part of the uh, the homebrew club that I'm in, the Wales. Yeah, that's what and, he said. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. He, uh, he I said him, I knew and I heard Sergio,
1: and he wasn't making me. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> he's,
0: uh, yeah, I uh, he's going to be with us on the 26th, I believe. Uh, yeah,
1: cool. yeah, we have him coming on to talk about the cup. But, uh, yeah, so that was really interesting. I didn't realize the connection. Figured out real quick, It was from Jersey. You just had to talk for a few minutes. But, um. <laughs> yeah, the funny thing was, I won,
7: uh, uh, in my homebrew days, I, I won a few medals, including the best of show at the Commerce Cup, like two, three, nice. uh, three years ago, maybe. And, um, and then one of my homebrew club members, uh, Luke, who actually keeps in close touch with Mike, uh, told me that he got the 411 that uh, from one of the old whale members that was judging at the, the competition that one of the whale members uh, won best of show down there. And was uh, <laughs> fun. So, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, great. Oh, that's pretty awesome. I wonder who it is. And then it ended up being me. So I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, he's got the cool guy, man. He gave me, gave me the heads up like three or four days before the entries, uh, uh, the competition results were posted. So that was pretty cool even delivered up my uh, my prize package I got a 60 pound bucket of some uh, wildflower honey from uh, Savannah Bee Company which nice. I still have sitting at the meter so <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I gotta do something with I'll probably do a super limited batch release for that or something yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah Mike's cool people and the Downwards Cup is an awesome competition as well I, I recommend anybody to um, to uh, Enter the Mead into there. I think Michael Fairbrother normally uh, flies down there and uh, yeah, he's over there as well. Too. Yeah,
1: yeah, he's going to be there. And well, they're part. They and uh, Mead for Your Die, which is Michael Fairbrother's competition up in the Northeast, are part of the East Coast uh, um, top Mead maker. They have a they have a like overall top Mead maker thing. They they collaborate. So that's something I'm going to have to throw that at the Mazer Cup and see if they want to get in on that kind of thing. I like cool a like a best mead yeah. maker in the country thing I think that'd be really neat <laughs> we've got yeah, uh,
3: pretty cool.
0: we've got uh, Alan Jones here from the mead makers I'm uh, gonna give him the last word Alan ah, he's second. Back. <laughs> well thanks for having me um, 60 seconds what's new at 60 seconds um, oh,
8: don't listen to him Alan <laughs> next Monday we have a uh, interview with Frank Goldbeck at Golden Coast releasing on sour meads cool Ooh. Um, I another another that. cool guy man yeah, yeah. Really cool. um, he's going to be our show at the end of
1: the month, so that'll be fun. I missed your holiday episode; I have to listen to it.
8: Yeah, it's got uh, Ken Schramm, Fairbrother, Sergio's in it. It's got Brad Dahlhofer in it. We took all of <laughs> our content that we had left over at the end of the year and spun it together in a bonus episode. So,
1: oh, cool! That's, great. that's
8: pretty cool. You can find that at slash 25 It'll take you right to the show. Notes. I remember you guys Brad saying was- something
1: about you were going to do that. That sounds like fun.
8: Yeah, yeah, that was uh, an awesome, up by the way. Yeah, good job on that. Oh, we
0: need musters here. Yeah, yeah. Frank are going These guys gonna keep oh, on sorry. jacking I'm gonna go ahead and close it on out. <laughs> we we really need look to look at him,
1: Mister Mister. He's gonna yak for 15 minutes about <laughs> wildflower honey, and then he's gonna cut you guys
7: off. <laughs> Shut everybody else. No, this, no, this no. was this was all your idea. I you <laughs> forgot, it,
0: right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, take good night, Vicky. Oh, good night, Vicky. Say good night, AJ. Good night, AJ. Sergio, hey. say good night, my friend. Uh, good night, hey, Alan. Good night. And Chris, thanks for uh, hanging out with us tonight. So, yeah, uh, y'all we'll can see stay you next-
1: on if you want to as soon as he shuts off the recording. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> hang around. We do have the after show, but uh, for all the rest of you listening in, hey, we'll catch you next week. Tuesday night, 9 o'clock right here. Got mead live. It's always a party here. Oh, yeah.